The Electric Chair, acting on instinct. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Electric Chair. Thank you all for listening. My name is Midnight Corey, and here we go with another show. This is actually a very special show because uh, it is just one gigantic, long, epic discussion that I have with two very good friends. Uh, You've heard them before. This week, I bring back to the show Jay of the Dead and Maven Jamie. Uh, for a discussion that we have had in the making for literally months. We planned this a long time ago, and because of all of our busy, crazy schedules, we have just recently been able to get together and talk. So, you get to hear our epic discussion of uh, Day of the Dead, the original 1985 version, and we also compare it with the remake. Oh yes, oh yes. And if you recall our Troll Hunter discussion, how detailed and how crazy long that got, this is even longer. Why, that's a, that's basically the entire show this week. But we get into things that uh, are just a lot of fun. And, of course, Jay and Jamie have some great thoughts on it. Uh, they are big lovers of the original movie as well. So, man, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. But before we get to that... Let's talk about some other stuff. Of course, you can hear The Electric Chair, this show, on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher is awesome. That has uh, pretty much become, you know, my uh, my exclusive podcast listening uh, thing, you know, the way I listen to all the shows. Uh, there are a few, like I've said before, that aren't on Stitcher that I do insist on listening to, but... Um, you know, Stitcher is pretty much my main thing. So uh, if you have, like, a smartphone or a tablet or whatever, then uh, that's... Uh, what you should be using. So awesome, and I'm, I'm really happy to be part of that. Let me remind you of the Troll Hunter Blu-ray giveaway uh, that is uh, being offered by my very generous friend, Florida Possum. Um, well, I'm still receiving entries for that, so we're going to keep that going for a couple weeks, but the end is nigh. So <laughs> get your entry in. Um, just let me know that you'd like to be part of the contest. Um, so you can email me, uh, Corey at MidnightCorey.com. Use the contact form on TheElectricChairShow.com. Or, um, yeah, get a hold of me on Twitter and Facebook, all that fun stuff. You know that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, thank you again to Florida Possum for that. Now, of course, I do have a voicemail number, 206-337-5096. Uh, I got a piece of uh, feedback this week from Xander Kane. So let's listen to what he has to say. Midnight Corey. Xander Kane here, just leaving you some feedback for the Electric Chair Show. Uh, first up, uh, I want to talk about Anthropophagus because I finally got this thing. After hearing you and Vaughn talk about it, I had to get my hands on it. I got my hands on it, and I must say, I was not disappointed, man. I, I can't thank you guys enough for talking about that one. Um, you know, I was a little worried at first because there's a few f- slow spots. There's two particular spots where it kind of got a little slow for me. But, you know, I don't mind those things when the payoff is great. And, man, is the payoff great in that film. Uh, You know, especially when she gets pulled through the roof and, you know, when he starts eating his damn stomach. All that stuff was just just fantastic. And, uh, you know, it was great uh, trash cinema or whatever, whatever you want to call it. 
Uh, but man, it was fun. So thanks for introducing me to that. I really, really appreciate. Uh, you know, that's the fun thing about listening to podcasts. You know, you get to find movies that you never would have, you never would have found before. So thank you. But in the same note, I would like to say, damn you, because now I have to watch Troll Hunter. I'm one of those guys. I don't really care for found footage films. The only one that I really, really like is Grave Encounters, and that one to me is awesome because it kind of makes fun of. Uh, that ghost hunting show phenomenon a little bit, but then it takes like a really dark turn and gets pretty fucking creepy. There's a few things I don't like about it, but I think they did. They delivered a solid product with Grave Encounters. I really like that one. Um, but man, you guys really sold Troll Hunter for me. Uh, Jay of the Dead, and I cannot remember the girl's name that was on there as well, so forgive me, but she did a fantastic job as well. I um, mean, you guys really got me interested to see that, so. I'm gonna have to check that out. I think it's on Netflix streaming still, so I'm definitely gonna have to check that out. And, but um, you know, thanks for putting together an awesome freaking show, man. You really just taking it to a whole nother level here at the Electric Show, and I really love that you're bringing in authors and actors and directors and other podcasters. You're just really, you know, digging into um all the different uh, you know facets of of horror, and that's awesome because you know. I want to hear from all those people, you know, this is what I love, you know, just as much as you love it, this is what I love, and I want to hear everybody's perspective on, on all counts of the horror genre, so, thanks for putting all that together, man, the show's kicking ass, and, um, keep it up, dude, and we'll be in touch, buddy, later. Dude, it was great hearing from you, I have, uh, spoken with you, uh, text-wise, on Twitter here for a long time, actually, and uh, I appreciate that you uh, sent in your feedback. I am so happy that you loved Anthropophagus. Um, some people d- just think it's bad and they don't like it, but I, I really appreciate it. I really love it, and it's really, really cool when uh, somebody else can pick it up and appreciate it as well. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, the payoff is definitely there, and you got to sit through some weird parts, of course. But uh, man, yeah, yeah, great film. And uh, you got to let me know what you think of Troll Hunter, man. I really hope you give that a shot. Um, I agree, Grave Encounters was awesome. And um, so, you know, found footage, I'm a sucker for found footage, like I always said. And uh, so I, you know, there aren't many out there that I don't like. So, uh, yeah, but uh, I am curious to hear what uh, you have to say about Troll Hunter. And uh, thank you uh, for all the kind words. It really means a lot. And, uh, yeah, put a lot of work into the show. And there are some uh, very special, interesting developments that uh, will be announced soon here. So, yeah, yeah, I'm doing even more stuff. So, yeah, thank you again. And uh, I encourage everybody to send me in some voicemail. Send me in some feedback. I'd just like to hear what you think. So let's dive right in to my discussion with Jay of the Dead and Maven Jamie about Dawn of the Dead 1985 and 2008. I don't want him to do anything but drop over! Well, tonight I am sitting here with literally two of my favorite people in the world. Uh, People that I just (laughs) love getting together with and talking to. And uh, unfortunately, our schedules don't allow us to talk as often as I would like to. But uh, tonight I am with Jay of the Dead. Jay, it is great, great to be talking with you again, sir. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Midnight Corey, and I had to wish you a happy Father's Day, because today, as we record this, it is Father's Day. And right back <laughs> at you, sir. Happy Father's Day to you as well. well. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm pumped to be back, sitting in the electric chair again. And uh, if this is anything like our Troll Hunter episode, you know, back in episode six, then I have a feeling I'll be sitting in this chair for a while tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're ready, because uh, this is going to be some great discussion, man. So... <laughs> Thank you again. And also, 
I have another person on that, again, I just love talking to, Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Jamie, thank you. Thank you for talking again. Oh, thank you. I love being here. The Electric Chair is one of my favorite shows in the world, and I'm so happy to be talking with Jay again. Um, I can just hug you guys, and uh, <laughs> happy Father's Day to both of you. Oh, thank you. I'm not a father. But <laughs> That'd be kind of weird if you said you were. And, uh, but no, that's all right. That's uh, that's very cool. Again, guys, taking time you know, out of your schedules. Again, you know, Jay, you've taken time from your family on Father's Day here. And, and Jamie, you you got so much going on right now and coming up in the next couple of weeks, you know, with uh, the Viscera Film Festival and all the insanity going on with that and uh so how's that all coming along are you are you starting to feel the stress and the the craziness kind of coming up here no <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> no it's wonderful it's yeah. wonderful it's we're about three weeks out and uh i just get more and more excited about it the closer we get it's going to be so amazing i cannot believe the the generosity of the sponsors that we've received this year, and it's just going to be so beautiful. You know, we're at the Egyptian, and then we're having our after party at the Roosevelt, so two legendary places in Hollywood. I'm just, I'm thrilled, and uh, we're able to do it all for $11 a head, so people who are listening, it's $11. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're getting to debut Danielle Harris's directorial debut among friends, or we're giving a sneak peek of that as part of the festival. And it's just going to be amazing. Plus I get to see all the friends that I haven't seen since last year at this time. So it's just, uh, I'm starting to get the adrenaline is pumping, you know, and there's, of course, as it gets closer to time, there's a lot more stuff that has to be done, but it's never a bad thing. It's always fun. This is what I this is what I wait for all year round. So I'm wow. ready. Wow. That sounds amazing. And I, I wish I wasn't on like the co- complete opposite coast. I from, know. You know? Oh. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure it'll be great. And I, I can't wait to, uh, you know, get an update on how things went after. Of course, it's all gone down and, you know, just uh, see how it went. I'm sure it's going to be great. And I, I know it's a fantastic, fantastic organization and, you guys are just really top notch in what you do, so, you so I'm sure much. it'll all come together well. But uh, I do still wish you uh, wish you some great luck and uh, all the su- all the success that uh, I can wish for you. So thank great. you. So well, we got a couple uh, a couple really interesting films to talk about tonight because uh, Jay, I believe you you'd come to me and uh, expressed some interest in talking about Day of the Dead. Yes, sir. My namesake. My namesake. Yes, in fact. yes. <laughs> and uh, this is a movie that uh, I will talk about anytime. And I said, well, let's make it interesting. While we're at it, let's throw in the remake, Day of the Dead 2008, quote, remake, and uh, <laughs> kind of do a compare contrast. So we're going to be talking about those two movies tonight, of course. The former, 1985, being written and directed by George Romero, and the remake um, being directed by Steve Miner. So um, we're going to talk about Romero's original film first here. Uh, Jay, first of all, man, thank you uh, for wanting to talk about this because Romero's films, his, his original trilogy of zombie films, are my three top zombie films of all time. So why does this hold a place so near and dear to your heart? Oh, yes. A- excellent top three picks, by the way. 
And uh, this is my favorite um, of all the Romero Dead franchise, actually. And, and it, I think it's my favorite because um, to me it's the darkest, it's the bleakest, it's the scariest. And uh, one of the reasons I absolutely love this is just it gets, there are some very ugly moments between the military and the scientists. And so it's like ugliness beneath ugliness. <laughs> and, and, and what's cool is you just expect off the top of your head that the, um, you know, the military, they're going to be the awful evil ones and the scientists are going to be innocent. But that's really not the case either because there are actually some pretty hair-raising things going on on that other side too. So, and of course, there's all the various social commentary, but I'm sure we'll get into that. But uh, this is definitely uh, my favorite Romero zombie film. Awesome. And, and Jamie... You jumped all over this too when when you saw me and Jay were talking about this. So what uh, what draws you to this one? That's right, I did. I butted right in. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I appreciate pick it. Me, you pick I appreciate me. it. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this one is very close to me because it was the first one that it was the first Romero movie that I got to see in the theater. Well, actually, I saw it at a drive-in, and um, I was so young at the time, and we were right right into the Cold War, and I basically, as a child, around that time, cried myself to sleep every night. I mean, because on the news, in movies and TV, and all over the place, it's just everyone was just sure that the bomb was going to drop on our heads at any time. And I would, I remember, I would look out the window at night, and anything that I saw that <laughs> looked like it might be like, like a nu- nuclear weapon heading for me, I would just, it just scared me to pieces. And I guess that's just fallout from no pun intended from from living, you know, being a child right then. You hear the grown-ups talking about all the scary stuff. So when I saw this movie, this hit home for me because it was that's exactly how I pictured survivors having to live after a nuclear war. And I always I would just pray at night that please, if we do have one, just let it land right on my head. Cause I did not want to live through that. I didn't want to go through the sickness after and, and the, just the horrible things that like Jason Robards family went through in the, <laughs> in the movie, the, uh, uh, the, the day after. And, um, I don't know. I just, it, it was so, I don't know. For some reason, it just touched me so closely, and it scared me to death. It was one of the first movies to really, really scare me on a like down in my soul. It just it kept me up at night, and for the longest time after, I would listen to the radio. I would have to go to sleep with the radio on in case there was a broadcast. And I mean, I was like gone. Like <laughs> I was nuts, and you know, over this thing, and um, it stayed with me. And I feel like any movie that can affect me that deeply, um, you know, there's got to be something special there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, this is a movie, I just watched it again uh, two nights ago in preparation. And I was as glued to the screen as I've been every other, you know, all the other probably thousand <laughs> times I've seen this. And I was scared. I was shocked. I was like, oh, my God, they're chopping off his arm. Oh, oh ouch man that hurts you know that scene just gets you and this whole movie just just gets you you know for me this was uh the third i've as far as how i've seen these in the past i I saw this um after dawn of the dead and um it just it was so brutal 
it was so real. Um, it's just, it, it's a very, very great movie. There, there's very little, if anything, that I would change about it. Um, you know, there, mm-hmm. there are no really weak spots in it that I'm like, oh, that was bad, but okay, I'll let it go because it's a zombie movie and it's Romero. You know, I mean, it, there's very little in this uh, that I can fault at all, even though, interestingly enough, uh, this is not what Romero originally wanted to do. He, he did not intend for this movie to be made the way it was. Um, he had a much grander script. A lot more was supposed to go into this, but his, his funding got cut uh, sort of mid-production, or in, in pre-production at least. Uh, so he had to rewrite a lot of this, cut a lot of it down. Uh, so basically we have the one main setting, which is the missile silo, the underground base, uh, where they're holding up. And that's really where the vast majority of the movie is filmed. We have a couple exterior scenes, but almost everything is underground. Um, so, um, although interestingly enough, just on a side note, originally, um, I, I, I didn't see this movie till I was a teenager and, and Jamie, I am so jealous that you saw this at the drive-in. I mean, you can thank is, my mom it, for that. Wow. Yeah. I couldn't that's imagine. Lucky. Yeah. That's, uh, that's gold is what that is. But, um, I originally saw scenes from this when I was in, um, sixth or seventh grade. Now this was, uh, the end of the eighties. And there was a series of trading cards that Topps put out, and they were called Fright Flicks trading cards. And you could buy them, you know, it was the typical bubblegum trading card things that you could find at the gas station or whatever. And it was like really hard bubblegum. Oh, oh yeah. You threw the gum out. You opened it up first thing, you threw out the gum and you looked at the cards. And <laughs> but these were called Fright Flicks, and they were screenshots basically from all these really really cool 80s horror movies at the time so you know you you saw a lot of friday the 13th nightmare on elm street uh fright night and there were a ton of really really gory scenes and they kind of made up little humorous uh little lines on the bottom of the card you know like for example i think for the fright night one the shot that they had was uh when the vampire girl is is kind of um changing and her mouth gets really really big you know and her face Mm. all contorts and of Mm. course that was one of the cards and i think they put a caption on there like oh man that soup was really hot you know or something like that so you know they're trying to be funny with them but i collected these cards and i saw all these brutal scenes and i could identify a lot of them you know because you knew who freddie was you knew friday the 13th and, and things but there are all these scenes. I saw there. there's a trading card with Bub on it. There's a trading card of, of several of the scenes, actually, from the end of the movie when the zombie carnage is really erupting. And so my first experiences with this film were actually on these trading cards. And, I mean, they were brutal. They, they really it didn't censor anything <laughs> as far as how they printed these cards. It was, it was just very bloody and gruesome. So when I saw these... Uh, scenes played out finally on the screen years later when I was a teenager and was discovering all these movies, then it just really hit home for me. But so that's how I originally kind of saw a lot of Dawn of the Dead just nice. through these cards. And, uh, and uh, again, just going off on a tangent here, thinking about that in preparation for this show, because I, I wrote that down in, in my notes. I'm like, oh, I kind of want to mention that. I literally found the, that set of cards on eBay because, of course, my mom threw them out, you know, whenever I went to college or whatever, and she was cleaning <laughs> house, you know. So, Aww. you know, that, that part of my childhood was lost. But on eBay, I found this set of cards again, and I actually went and ordered them 
um, the same night that I watched Day of the Dead because oh, uh, that's <laughs> funny. I'm looking at him right now on eBay as you're talking. Yes, <laughs> as you're talking about him, because I never saw these. I can't believe I missed out on this. Mm-hmm. That won't happen for long. I had all the Garbage Pail Kids. I was Me an too. avid, oh, yes. avid collector of Garbage Pail Kids, and I still have them. But yes. um, I, I might even have some of the gum somewhere. I don't know. I think. <laughs> 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 but I can't believe I never saw these, and uh, I'm gonna have to remedy that that's crazy yeah. these are amazing yeah and they're not i mean the, the whole set i mean i think there's like 90 cards and they're it's relatively cheap to go and just buy the whole yeah. set um so i don't think they're they're big huge valuable collector's items or anything but for me i you know it's very personal for me because i oh yeah I collected these I, when i was younger so i get uh, that so yeah, awesome. look them up. But anyhow, to to come back to a discussion about the film, and I'm sorry, you know, that I kind of went off. But uh, um, wow, it, it's amazing to me how George Romero can uh, take three different decades, make three different zombie movies that are set respectively in each of those decades, but he can make them make perfect sense as continuations of each other, and that's what we see in day of the dead picking right up after dawn um because we don't see the outbreak we don't see the, the uh you know normal life and then the zombie thing happens and people start to panic and and struggle to survive when we right. pick up with this movie it's already been going on um it's already something it's probably a period of months uh that uh the dead have been alive so um the first scene that we see, of course, um, the very first scene, it's, it's a crazy scene in which uh, the lead female character in here, Sarah, um, is kind of s- sleeping in this, this white room somewhere, uh, kind of dark a little bit. And she wakes up, goes to the calendar, checking out the calendar, and all of a sudden those arms burst through the wall. Um, and it ends up being kind of a series. She has these dream sequences throughout the entire movie. And um, they're all sort of surreal. They're sort of based on things she's experienced and seen. But um, so uh, after that, we go to uh, she wakes up in a helicopter, uh, reminiscent, of course, of Dawn of the Dead. A lot of mm-hmm. helicopter and Dawn of the Dead. So um, they, they land in a city. They're trying to call for help. And... Uh, this is where we see our first zombies. So uh, to me, uh, this is Tom Savini's crowning achievement. You know, of course, he did uh, he did all the makeup Agreed. effects in, uh, in Dawn, which were, you know, pretty good. But these ones, seriously, I don't think I have seen better zombies than this since. Um, and this, I, I mean, nobody can do any better than this, even, you know, 20-some years later. Do you guys agree? Yeah. Jay? Yeah, I I think I definitely agree that this is his crowning achievement. I think it's his best work. And I'm a big fan of like, like for example, in Maniac, there's that kill where he uh, blows that guy's head apart with a shotgun. Sweet. That is such a sweet shot. That's freaking killer. But, you know, this, like, for example, that that shovel, I mean, maybe we're going to get to that. But when they they put that spade shoveled in that zombie's mouth and like split the head, slide the top of the head off, that is incredible. (laughs) Hmm. Agreed. And there are a lot of scenes like that. I mean, Jamie, what do you think of the, the yeah. I mean, what is it about the look of the zombies and the and the gore here, the magic that Tom pulls off? I mean, it's, it's unreal. I think in this movie you get 
what you never got before was it in the you know the two previous films and this one you get more definition uh that gives them you know of the face that gives them sort of a sunken look you know there there's the brow bone that protrudes more um there's more texture to the face whereas in in dawn it was mainly they were just colored gray that came off looking blue but in this one there's a lot of de- attention to detail and um they look weathered they look like they're rotting and um uh, it's it's it gives them such a really frightening look and then his his other effects like with the arm when you were talking about earlier when they're chopping off Miguel's arm I was watching the special features today just because I do that whenever I watch the movie I always then watch the special features and I just love how he talks about how he created that effect and you know um when she like slams the, the machete down on his arm and his hand is wiggling and people are like, oh my God, is that, is that a, you know, an animatronic arm? And he's like, no, it's so much simpler than that. It's a machete with a hole cut out of it and we just put it over his arm. And I'm like, you know, that is, it's just so brilliant, the things that he, the things that he thinks of and puts into play and it's so much simpler than you think that they would be, you know, because they're done so beautifully. And um, it just, I'm in awe of him through this whole thing. It was, it was, I definitely agree that this is some of his absolute best work Yeah, and it's perfect. Yeah. It's, uh, you bring up a good point of, uh, Tom Savini and the way that he was working and it was very simple. Um, and it was very resourceful and creative. Um, and we saw, of course we saw a lot of it in Dawn, but I, I think he really perfected it, uh, in day. Um, just, you know, I think he, he didn't overthink things. He didn't make things more complicated than they should be. You know, of course, we're going to put a machete in this guy's arm. Let's cut out a piece of the machete and put it over his arm. And, you know, we will edit it and light it in such a way that uh, it looks legit. It looks like this is actually a, a blade going through his arm. And, uh, and, you know, it's the same, Jay, you brought up, you know, the shovel scene and a lot of it. It's creative editing. It's it's just kind of the right things happening at the right time and uh, with some specially made props and the, and the spade and everything. But mm-hmm. uh, what he did was very simple. Um, and I do have to say, you know, you mentioned the special features, the special features with Day of the Dead, you know, especially in, in the newest versions that you can get on, on DVD and Blu-ray are some of the finest um, extras that you're going to find anywhere for any horror film. Um, you know, the, uh, just, uh, the behind the scenes on how they did the makeup and, and Savini talking about it, the, the countless hours and hours and hours that they spent making up these zombies. Um, Mm -hmm. because Jamie, you talked about how detailed that they are. And I mean, all the prosthetic work, all the makeup that went into this. I mean, they, so many of them had even, you know, specially made teeth and, uh, just, it it was amazing the amount of detail uh that went into this so uh just and they're green in this film you know as opposed to dawn you know like Jamie you said they were gray but turned out blue in dawn but um is it a big jump for you guys that now they're they're green for the most part or even you know that a lot of them are pale like bub is very pale you know bub is almost white um so was that a is that a big jump from uh, from Dawn? Did that bother you at all? Or 
So for me, it was a relief. That, that's actually my my <laughs> biggest gripe with uh, Dawn of the Day. You've heard me say this before, but yeah, the the blue looking zombies really really bother me in Dawn of the Dead. I'm sorry to say, but um, with this, I'm truly happy with the way they look. Yeah, yeah, me too. I didn't. Uh, I, I I thought it's it's more gruesome and it's also more rotten. You know, it, it has a very rotten feel to it. Um, so yeah, that's. Uh, but Jamie, do you prefer like green or do you like more? Uh, I don't know. What do you think about the green tones of the zombies that we see in here? I love it. And yeah. and uh, I also love the blue ones in Dawn. And I, I really just I like them all. And it's because whenever I know that I'm going to watch this certain movie, then I know that I'm this is the kind of zombie that I'm going to expect. And, you know, they're different every time, but it does not bother me at all it's just like that's part of the experience it's almost like when you're watching a vacation movie and the kids are different every time it's still you know like as a national lampoon's vacation i mean it's still you know you still get beverly d'angelo and chevy chase and the kids are different in every single movie but i don't care i mean i just i love watching them for what they are so that's kind of like how it is for me i do um i really though dawn is my absolute favorite um, zombie movie ever. And so I kind of have a, you know, um, I don't know. I kind of do love the, the bluish looking zombies, but, um, this in an, in that this was in no way negative for me that it was different. I think it's fun. I really like the detail that they put in them. I like the bit of extra and, you know, maybe it kind of goes along a progression, you know, I mean, these, you know, as time progresses, it sort of gives them a, more rotting looks so that you know they're progressing along you know does that make sense um i even like in land of the dead there were two animatronic zombies that were to me really 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 extra creepy one was um the really the old guy that just kind of shows up and um i forget who he bites when they're on mount washington but um he just kind of leans up out of nowhere and then bites him on the arm and that is completely different from any of the zombies that you'll see in any other Romero film, but I loved it, you know, and it's just, I think that's kind of the fun is just seeing what he's going to bring to each one. Right. Right. And it, I, again, you know, I, I said, it's amazing that a filmmaker can do this, that he can change the style of zombies, you know, in each movie, but it's still the three movies, night, dawn and day are, are a very cohesive whole. You know, at mm-hmm. least to me. Um, mm-hmm. And again, different time periods, different ways of dressing, different ways of acting. You start off in black and white, for crying out loud. And then the zombies are just different. So it's amazing that they can come together this well. And uh, so, yeah, I agree. Uh, I have no problem with these zombies at all. They're just uh, really fantastic. So, um, we see the, the very first zombie, though, that we see, I, I have to talk about, because he, he's, he's a pretty famous one, and uh, he, he's kind of dark. you got to really, really pay attention to him <laughs> as he comes into frame, because, of course, they land in the city, and they're on the megaphone just trying to find survivors, and they're just calling out, hello, hello, and the first zombie that stumbles into frame, I, I, I believe he's been nicknamed Dr. Tongue. Um, yes. And, but, for good uh, reason. For good reason. His, his jaw is literally gone and his tongue is, is dangling there. Um, now, this was 
uh, uh, an animatronic uh, figure. I mean, this thing was was uh, built. It wasn't a real person, obviously. So, uh, <laughs> but this is a great way to kick off the movie um, because it just it it really sets the tone for the kind of zombies that you're going to see and the level of gore because uh, this thing is gruesome. Um, and then we see other zombies emerge. Kind of, they come crawling out of the woodwork. And uh, one of my favorite things about Romero that he does with zombies is you see a lot of characters. You know, Ooh, you, I was gonna say that. Yes, <laughs> and I love it. And he does it in like every movie. I, I yes. think except Night, we didn't really see it a lot in Night, but especially starting with Day or uh, Dawn, and of course in Day, and even in Land, and and the other movies, we see d- different different ways of dressing, different costumes. You know, mm-hmm. you see a marching band zombie, you see the clown mm-hmm. zombie, even before before Zombie Land, you saw a clown zombie here. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't know, uh, Jamie. I mean, you've you've noticed that too. That it, it's really oh, I cool. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I especially love the clown in this one. He's so God. He's so scary. He's just like it looks like he's been through the ringer. You know, he's just barely hanging <laughs> on clown zombie, and I love that. And um, that I was going to point out the, the marching band zombie there's, Oh, and in this one, you even get to see uh, George himself wandering around as a zombie yes. in the tunnels. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what I was going to say too, about night, you did get the naked zombie in night, which yes. I always, I always thought was so cool for the time period that he was willing to, um, you know, we're going to throw in a naked zombie. I mean, I mean, he was already pushing, pushing a lot of boundaries with making that film anyway. But um, it always, it, every time I'm just like, ah, yes, you know, <laughs> that you went that far. And he does. He always, he, you never get bored because you can, you can always spend your time, no matter how many times you've been watching this movie, you can spend your time picking out the different character zombies. And I always find new ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there are so many. Jay. Um, mm-hmm. did you notice that too? I mean, just the really cool, the, again, it's down to the, like the attention that they paid to individual zombies and the level right. of detail that they went into yeah. here. Yeah. And, and I love that too. Absolutely. And I think, I think there are two re well, probably three reasons. One is because it's creative and fun to look at, but two, I've, I've, I've wondered this too. And I'm like, well, the, the zombies are supposed to be this like uh, proletariat type of, uh, <laughs> community, and so what better way to show this, um, I, I guess, the span that zombies cover than getting these various different characters in different walks of life or different fields of work. Like in Land, I always like the cheerleader in, in, in um, I believe it's Land of the Dead. I mean, there's always like somebody else that's, that's coming from a different uh, corner. And so that to me, this, this kind of spreads. It gives me the feeling that, okay, this thing is seeping into all aspects and all walks of life mm-hmm. yes yeah absolutely oh and box uh, uh box arco pitcairn zombie from dawn is my favorite zombie uh. <laughs> from any film i i just i almost cry every time because he just looks so pitiful bless his heart i just want to hug him i do and i know that he would reciprocate reciprocate that hug with a giant chunk out of my neck but i just i feel so bad for him he just he doesn't seem evil or, 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 you know, scary. He's just sad. And <laughs> so a little shout out to that one because I love him. <laughs> well, thank you, Jamie, for, for mentioning that. And even though we're not talking about Dawn at, at all, 
Um, you know, that was always something that that stood out to me in that scene. Uh, first of all, the zombie is is very sympathetic. You know, you 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 really feel for that zombie, which is which is strange. But uh, also the Arco Pitcairn thing, because most people are going to be like, "What does that even mean?" You know, what right. what is that? And it's actually um, Pitcairn is a is a town in in uh, Western Pennsylvania that I I just happen to know about because I'm from here. Um, so you know, it's kind of a kind of a strange phrase on this on this zombie's back, and it's something again that just kind of sticks with you, and, and it's just very unique. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, having all of these zombies, like you guys were were alluding to, it just uh, really brings them down to kind of our level, and they're just kind of like from all walks of life, anybody whatsoever. You know, this is this is a very cool cross section. You know, the football player. You know, we see a football player. We see all just all <laughs> kinds of stuff, and he really goes out of his way, I think, to uh, make a lot of these cool characters, and I appreciate that as a zombie fan because. I think too many zombie movies, the zombies are very homogenous. You know, mm-hmm. everyone pretty much looks the same. And yeah. and uh, so this makes things very, very interesting. Jamie, like you said, we, we you know, you always see something new, you know, and you're you just can't wait to go back and look at it again and uh, and see if you can pick out something else because they they did that. It's almost like Easter eggs you know, for us for us fans yes. that watch it a thousand times. I think it also adds a, a level it adds a level of emotion to it. If you can get emotionally connected to a zombie, um, then I think that the filmmaker has really done something special there and Romero is one who can do it every time. You know, there's uh you know, there'll be a bride and you just can't help think, you know, God, she had a really bad day. You know, <laughs> yes. um you know, it started out so beautiful for her. And I'm sure most people don't spend as much time thinking about this as I do, but you know, I I do that. I don't know. But um, you think, oh, you know, that's so sad. Or like the nurse in Dawn. I always feel bad for her because, you know, she was trying to help people. She got, you know, she is now a zombie, but she was, she's in her uniform. So, you know, she was working. She was in doing her best to try to save people's lives. And this is how she ended up now. And that always, he always does that to me. He always manages to make me feel sort of an emotional connection to them, which makes them seem, which makes me remember that they were at some point human. Most zombie films, especially today, don't really try to put that much effort into it. They're monsters. You know, there's, there's nothing there. You just mow them down. You get a, an AK-47 and cut them in half. You don't really think about or care to think about where they came from and what was going on. But what he manages to make us do is to remember that even though these are people that are now after you and that they will kill you any chance they get, they were once just like you. Wow. Thank you for bringing that up. I, I think <laughs> that's, that's actually very brilliant um, because he is he – is, almost forcing you although that might be too strong but he's almost forcing you to imagine a whole story behind each and every one of them just by putting them up there on the screen um because you are you can't help but think you know i love what you said about the bride and about the nurse (laughs) and it's just Mm -hmm. like wow why is she still wearing her gown that means in the middle of her wedding day she was (laughs) eaten by a zombie (laughs) yeah you know you you can't help but sort of extend things and use your imagination you know i mean i mean jay do you agree is that uh... Uh, oh yeah absolutely and and plus 
you know, just to kind of piggyback on that, I, I think that was a brilliant point too, Jamie. Thank you. You can, um, I mean, we all have, maybe we have kids who are football players or cheerleaders or whatever, and, and maybe we have a, an, a relative who's a nurse. And it also makes you think, okay, well, that could be one of my family members or me. You know, I, I do this job. This is my day job. What if I get, <laughs> what if I got bitten? I was in, into the horde all of a sudden. That's a great point, Jamie. Right. I really like that aspect of it, too. I mean, that I, I hadn't really thought of making it that personal before, but it would be easy to do, especially if you had children, you know, or um, who would like say, or a football player, you know, and then you're like, oh, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just it it makes you put so much more thought into it. I guess it doesn't make you because I'm sure everyone doesn't. You know, some people just watch them and then they're done with it. But um, I think people who care about Romero's films as much as we do see these things, you know, and, um, was it, oh, it's in Dawn. Um, no, not Dawn. What is it? Yeah. Um, (laughs) there's a scene where you see all these soldiers, um, in like in the beginning and there are a lot of soldiers and they're taking pictures and they're, you know, just like you imagine soldiers would be doing say on in Vietnam, you know, during their downtime, they're drinking their coffee, they're putting their arms around each other, they're taking pictures of each other, you know, and they're about to go out and do their thing. But then you, then you think, where are they going to get those pictures developed? You know, they're not, because this is it. You know, these are guys, they have no idea what they're heading into. They have no idea that they're not coming back, just like combat. And it's like they, they don't, exactly realize what they're walking into until they get into it. And that's just a whole nother level of sadness for me. I mean, I just, I get, I guess I'm way too emotionally tied <laughs> to these zombie movies, but that's why I love them so much because they do affect me on an emotional level and no other filmmaker can do that like he can. Yeah. Well, again, it's great storytelling and, and great crafting of a film that uh, Romero was doing at this point in time. And, and uh, I, you know, that's, that's just the magic that uh, he can do. So, no, I, I'm totally there with you. I mean, uh, it, it takes, you know, and again, not everybody reads into these zombies the way that we do. Um, but, uh, you know, it, I think it, it takes the same kind of curiosity, the same kind of wonder that it does for, um, you know, a lot of times if you get into writing, and I, I, I do some writing, Um, but, uh, one of the ways that they tell you to find inspiration in writing is you just go to a public place, you go to a mall, you go to a restaurant, a coffee shop, something, and you just observe people. And, uh, you know, you try to, uh, to think about what their story is, you know, just based on the first impression thing, you look at them and say, you see a woman in the corner of the coffee shop and maybe looking a little sad, maybe, you know, whatever you're like, man, she must've had a bad day. Maybe, you know. Maybe this is happening in your life and you just kind of start letting your imagination go, you mm-hmm. know, as far as, uh, you know, weaving a story behind her. And then that's uh, that's kind of how you begin to kind of unleash some some creativity in writing and, and figuring out plots and storylines and characters. But uh, so I think it's that same kind of, of trait that uh, you have to possess almost to kind of go there. Um, and uh, to think about these zombies and these kind of things in that way. So I can totally appreciate that. And I, I know I'm, I am among some very creative spirits here, you know, with you guys. <laughs> um, so I know that uh, we're all thinking the same way, and a lot of people do 
listening out there as well. So, uh, and if you haven't, I mean, hey, give it a shot, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> start start yeah, really I mean, checking out these zombies. I mean, it's it's totally okay if you don't. I mean, if you just right. watch them for the fun of it and and whatever reason that you watch them over and over again, that's totally okay. But I think yeah, I think you're definitely um if you allow yourself to look at other sides of it, you could mm-hmm. probably find something special. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One other thing that I wanted to point out though before, you know, we can move on to the actual underground base here and just get out of the very first 5 minutes of the film. <laughs> is a a big thing for me and it's something that i always think about and it's actually a piece of horror memorabilia that i have hanging on my wall but it's the newspaper and i mean it's a flash you know it's just a few seconds but it's that newspaper that blows across the street and opens up and it says the dead walk Mm -hmm. Um, and it's something that i just happened uh, i happened to win this uh this newspaper at uh, a a festival that I was at, I was in a drawing and I, I got it and it was in a tube actually that came from KNB effects, which is like a big, big deal. This is very significant. It's only on the screen for like a few seconds. And uh, just the weird music that goes on in the background as you, as you see this blow across the screen in this abandoned city, is this something that you guys remember too? Or am I just like crazy? I mean, Jay, is this, Oh, I love it. I, in fact, I got a quick question for you. Is that the very same newspaper? Is it like a, a copy of that newspaper? Oh, no. It is uh, actually one of the ones that was handed out because actually a funny thing about this, that newspaper, copies of this newspaper were uh, given to all the zombie extras in the film. So they were paid like, it was something like they were paid like a dollar or something. I forget. It was something <laughs> ridiculous. So if you were an extra zombie in in, in day... You were given however little money and then a copy of this newspaper as nice. payment. And uh, no, this is this is one of the original ones. Um, wow, that's cool, brother. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> this is why I'm guarding this thing with my life. So no yeah. kidding. Yeah, like when if there's a fire, heaven forbid, grab your grab your kid and the newspaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So um, no, this intro sequence, I think for me at least, is one of. The best, one of my favorite in all of horror movies setup. I know that sounds like hyperbole, but and and maybe it's because I haven't seen as many horror movies as like you two have, but it's one of my favorites. And I think that that um, the Dead Walk headline just kind of is the crowning point of that moment. Yeah, Jamie. I mean, does this is this something that sticks with you like it does with us? Hell yeah, this is, I wait for that every time. I mean, I, I sit, as soon as the beginning starts and you start panning through the city and, you know, like the tumbleweeds and the that, I wait for the newspaper to pop up. I love that. It gives me chills every time. And I wait for the alligator. The alligator. And yes. uh, the zombies, especially when the zombies start coming out of the building and then just kind of push the alligator down the steps. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so chilling to think that city is really dead. You know, yeah. <laughs> there is nothing going on there except for lots of shuffling and moaning. <laughs> right, right. And this, this time, I actually noticed it's about the same time as the alligator scene, the first time you see it and it's holding still. I noticed this giant spider on this guy's, like, elbow. Yes, <laughs> yeah. That, is... When they're leaning up against or sitting against a wall. Yeah. It, big tarantula. It's... It's huge. I mean, I've I've never noticed that before. And it's a really big spider. I mean, big. That's freaky. I love it. And it's just, it's one of those things that 
they didn't have to do. And I'm, I'm sure added a significant amount of time and probably a little, little expense, maybe a favor here, you know, to, to actually bring in this little spider and put it on this zombie. But it's just one of those cool things that, that you notice. It's, it's that attention to detail. And again, they didn't have to put that alligator in there. And, and hats off to whoever those zombies were that were playing those roles around that alligator. Because that was totally like, wow, I'm not going to do a scene with an alligator. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, that but, was a uh, real alligator. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so awesome. But they get out of there pretty quickly once the zombies start uh, coming out of the woodwork. They go back to their base, back to camp. And this is where we are for the rest of the film. Um, we are at this abandoned missile silo where uh, scientists have been uh, commissioned or instructed to work uh, under the protection of the military. Um, and of course, things have happened. Again, I think the great thing about Day Again is that we are just jumping into things in the middle of all kinds of plot lines happening. And uh, I think that's a great thing storytelling-wise. Uh, whenever I, I think you're constructing a story, you need to launch right in to the middle of the story to really create that, uh, that sense of interest and action. You have to find out backstory. You know, a lot of things are implied here about things that have already happened. And then things definitely progress and change from here on out. So you're just thrust into the middle of quite a tense uh, situation here between the scientists and the military. And we see it, you know, as soon as they land the helicopter, um, because uh, the military guys, first of all, they're growing pot, um, which I, I think is a very interesting element in this film in that, uh, you know, these soldiers, they're, they're growing pot, they're smoking pot during a lot of the movie. Um, but yet they're ripping into, uh, you know, the Irishman, um, what's his name, um, uh, that guy, for drinking during the film. You know, they, they bust on him a lot, you know, lay off the booze, lay off the booze and everything. And meanwhile, they're, they're passing around a joint. And uh, so that's kind of an interesting, interesting kind of thing. You know, you're busting on this guy for drinking a lot, but you guys are potheads <laughs> over here. So, I mean, what's it, you know, that's, that's kind of interesting. But uh, so anyhow, they're thrust into a very tense situation with these zombies. And um, of course, we see the big gate where the zombies are trying to bust in at. They're like, oh, they're all riled up now. You know, something's going on. You, you might have to go and shoot a few of them. And uh, then they go underground. And uh, this is where we, we meet Steel and uh, Rickles, uh, mm -hmm. the two kind of main military guys under the command of, of Rhodes and uh, we've recently had the death of the uh, the commander before that. Um, and I'm trying to think of his name at this point. I I'm sure I have it written down. But uh, one of the military guys has recently died, which is significant later on in the movie. But, uh, man, I, I just got to say the casting and the characters in this film is awesome. Um, yes. And... Uh, let, uh, Jay, I mean, mm -hmm. what what characters and maybe what actors behind them stick out to you? You know, both you know, military wise, scientist wise, whoever in this film. What are who are some of your favorites that we see down here? Oh, absolutely. My my all time favorite has to be uh, Doctor Logan, aka Frankenstein. I think, and it's played by Richard Liberty, and I think that he gives 
an exceptional performance. I think he steals the entire movie as far as like his acting performance. And um, as I watched it this time, I thought, that guy is so good. I think that he, he deserved an Oscar nod for that. I know the Academy Awards a lot of times turn up their nose at horror films or overlook them. But this guy was really putting it out there. So he was one of my all-time favorites. I loved him. And, and of course, I mean, I think everybody loves Bub, and I'm sure we'll get into talking about him more later. Um, another thing I was going to ask you, the, the uh, Joseph uh, Pilato, yes. is that how you pronounce his last name? Mm-hmm. Or Pilato. So anyway, he plays Rhodes, and he's just this ho- horrible, just hateful, despicable <laughs> villain. And I, there was something really familiar about the, the way that he uh, delivers his lines, the way he speaks, and I think he has an unmistakable like Michael Douglas mixed with a little bit of Jack Nicholson delivery to his lines. Like you could close your eyes and kind of mistake him for Michael Douglas a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. I've never thought of that. Yeah. Like it, listen to it next time you watch it. I'm sure you'll watch it within the next week again, Corey and oh, yeah. listen to that. guy. <laughs> it's just awesome. And, yeah. and then the, of course, I love uh, Lori Cardell, who plays Sarah. Mm. I think she nailed this role, and she's probably... I mean, Romero has um, some really interesting uh, females uh, cast in his films, and I think that she's probably the the strongest survivalist for me, and, and she's, like, my favorite female. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Jamie, who sticks out to you here? Uh, uh, I'm a big fan of... John, uh, played by Terry Alexander, the helicopter pilot. I love him. I and um, McDermott too. The they have their whole little oasis out back. They pretty much stay out of everything else. And I know they catch a lot of crap from Sarah in the beginning because they don't really lift a finger, in, you know, according to her, to do anything to help. But. Um, I think they have an idea of what's going on down here. They they really know that they don't want to mess with with Rhodes and they don't want to get entangled with because all of these army guys are nuts. I mean, yeah. they're like every one mm. of them. There's not one there that I would trust. And so I know that they just want to distance themselves from all of that crap and you know, I can't say I blame them for it. They've got a nice little sweet little deal out there. Uh Sarah, I agree with you Jay. She is um She's one of my favorite uh, Romero females, and that is always something that I've loved about him are his dynamic female characters. Um, and, of course, in the, in Night, um, it, Barbara was pretty much checked out for, for most of the time. But, you know, that just – that's the way things were back then. You wouldn't – it would be odd for a woman to step up and take a, a lead role in something like that going down it just it's not how women were seen back then so it it makes sense with the time and so that's always I always liked the fact that when he wrote the remake for that he completely did a 180 with the Barbara character and made her really strong because I think he always sees women as strong characters and that's what he really would have done with her if he had given been given the opportunity to do that and um, there I go babbling again. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I agree with you about Logan as well. I do. Um, but I say John's probably my favorite John, um, and McDermott. They're my two favorite characters. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for, uh, uh, for saying McDermott. Cause I couldn't think of his name earlier. I just called him the Irishman, the drink, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. 
<laughs> but uh, no, th- those two guys, they are the most grounded, you know, other than Sarah. You know, I, I think they are the most down-to-earth guys. They're thinking the most clearly out of the entire group, you know, even Logan. Um, and uh, so, no, that that's a great point. Um, I, w- yeah, I, I wish that uh, I could meet these actors. You know, I wish I could meet Terry Alexander um, because he, he's amazing. And I just want to know if he has that accent in real life. Or, or if, <laughs> I know, yeah. you know, I can't tell. I mean, I really cannot tell if it's fake or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, whoever, uh, I can't think of the actor that plays McDermott, but he did a great job as well playing, you know, a very kind of stereotypical role. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the, the drunken Irishman. I mean, that's... It's uh, kind of a stereotype, you know, it's it's kind of treading on on some weird territory there. So um, but it, you know, it it worked out. I, I think, uh, you know, there was nothing there negative about that at all. And I'd like I liked his character. I really liked him. Um, he, he had a little bit of um, kind of a, a humorous, you know, comedic kind of relief to a lot of scenes that wasn't over the top. It wasn't stupid comedic. Um, right. You know, it, it was very, you know, a, a tension relief a lot of times without going over the line. So I really like that. But um, uh, yeah, yeah. Logan, of course, is awesome. I just have to say Joe Pilato. I love Joe Pilato. Um, <laughs> he is actually, believe it or not, he's in uh, Dawn of the Dead. Um, yes. And um, he plays one of the cops. Now, I don't know. I can't remember exactly which cuts he appears in. I think he he appears in Argento's cut, the European cut, uh, a lot more than Romero. I can't remember if he even has anything in Romero's uh, theatrical version. I don't Um, recall if he's in the theatrical, but I know he's in the extended. Yeah. Um, yeah. Romero's extended cut. Yeah. And, And the funny thing is he plays the same kind of, character you know he's he's uh and joe Pilato. that's what i found i mean joe Pilato is joe Pilato. uh whether he is in whatever movie that he's in or if he's just himself i mean he's <laughs> he's a very interesting guy uh he has a lot of personality and and <laughs> um I'll just leave it at that, but I love him. I love <laughs> Joe Pilato. Um, yeah, I met him once uh, at the Land of the Dead premiere. Awesome. He came up and asked me where the food was. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the extent of that conversation. Oh, nice. I just kind of pointed in the, in the general direction, and you know, he went off. But um, yeah. <laughs> that was my two seconds with Joe Pilato. <laughs> he's, he's another one I, I sincerely hope to meet and talk with Joe Pilato at some point in my life. Um, yeah, because he is a character. He is a character. So uh, I love that guy. And he, you know, to me in this movie, Jay, you said that Logan's character really steals the show here. And for me, it's like a tie. It's like a three way tie. It's like, is it Logan? Is it Bob or is it Rhodes? You yeah. know, I mean, I Rhodes, you hate him. You <laughs> hate you loathe this guy, I mean, it, to me, Rhodes is one of like my top all-time favorite horror movie bad guys that you just love to hate, um, right? And is so bad. And Joe Pilato is great. There's something about his character, though, Midnight Corey. I, I was wondering this as I watched it this time. He at one point he threatens execution for anyone who tries to jeopardize his command. And you know, as much as I hate 
him most of the time and most of the thing he's that he does. I I really started thinking, well, you know, if you were in this situation and he had co- military command and he was in charge, you you might need to make such a threat. Maybe not the way he went about it, but I think he had a point there. <laughs> we're talking about characters. Yeah. I think he has a point. Yeah, I mean, it's so weird because he's clearly lost it uh, for for a lot of the movie. But there is some sense in what he's doing in certain situations. And uh, thank you for bringing that up because um, I think in, in a situation that's spiraling out of control like this one uh, where, you know, th- there's a breakdown in even the original plan of this whole operation, you know, where the scientists were supposed to be doing something. The military had their role. It was very ordered, very structured. Things are breaking down. People are dying you know, he, he's constantly worried about losing his men because he's down to a skeleton crew as it is. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he has to step it up in terms of um, the authority that he's going to exert and how he's going to exert that. But as the movie goes on, we see that, um, I think, reaching extremes that are really overstepping those bounds. But, uh, but no, I, I agree in that, um, you know, I, I think that this situation kind of calls for that. Um, albeit it is very extreme. So, uh, he's just trying to run the monkey farm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, It's (laughs) not really a democracy at this point. I do have a a quick question for you too. It's a trivia question. And, uh, Corey, you'll probably know this. Why does, um, the guy who plays Bub, Sherman Howard, and I understand that a lot of times he'll go by Howard Sherman. Do you know why he does that switcheroo with his name? That's pretty funny to me. Uh, no, and I wish uh, I actually met him um, at Cinema Wasteland here a few years ago, and I wish I would have asked him that, um, but <laughs> I didn't think of it at the time. I was just I was happy enough that he signed my Bub, you know, action figure, um, but uh, <laughs> but no, awesome. I, I don't know. I know that he does that, but. I think that's just, you know, kind of one of those weird things that a lot of actors and directors do. They just like to kind of mess with, <laughs> mess with people. <laughs> Jamie, do you know, I mean, why he does that? No, I'm afraid not. I hmm. have no idea. I was even trying to cheat and look it up, and I, I can't find anything. <laughs> I think it's one so, of those. Th- sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's one of those things. Um, you know, what comes to mind is Kurt Cobain, because um, I was a big Nirvana fan back in the day. I still mm-hmm. am. But uh, Kurt used to spell his name a bunch of different ways. You know, he'd sp- spell it with a C or a K. Sometimes he spelled it like K-U-R-D-T, you know, and, and yeah. weird things like that. And there was no reason for it other than to mess with people and to just kind of, right. you know, make people question it. Um, so I'm almost thinking, you know, that, well, that might be something. This is my theory. I mean, it, it's kind of like he's one of those people with two first names. And so maybe... He's had it so much both ways. He just does it, you know, because ah, Sherman's a first name, I think, and Howard is too. So, yeah. good call. Theory. Good call. But he's a great guy. Like I said, I met him, and he was very, very cool. He he, he signed uh, signed a couple things. I had um, I can't think of what the other one was, but yeah, he was a really great guy, and he talked to me for a long time. Um, and I've, actually, I met um, uh, Steele, who, who's played by Gary Clark. Um, mm. he was up here for the, uh, Erie Horror Film Festival and, uh, he was really, really great. In fact, 
Um, you know, the normal thing, you go to a convention and, you know, you pay him for an 8x10. He signs the 8x10. He actually gave me two 8x10s. Um, and he signed both of them for whatever reason. And uh, gave me both, oh, wow. uh, you know, so two two scenes of steel. And I think I think the one was where he was committing suicide, you know, and, and the thing. And I can't remember the other one. But he he gave me two just because he thought, he's like, hey, take two, you know. And uh, <laughs> a really great guy. And a, a big contrast from how he is in this movie, because he is a big, uh, uh, just an asshole. I mean, he is, <laughs> seriously. I mean, well this said. is a guy, he probably grew up, he was probably a football player. He was probably a jock that beat up a lot of nerds in high school. And mm -hmm. he went up, you know, I'm thinking of um, in Revenge of the Nerds. What's the what's uh -huh. the big jock? Um, um, Stan. No, oh, you mean Ogre? Ogre, ogre. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of like an ogre kind of guy. <laughs> um, they grew up and then, you know, he joined the, the military and was that kind of, of person. So, you you know, you again, you imagine a whole backstory for this guy and the kind of person that he was. And um, again, you hate him not as much as you hate uh, uh, Rhodes. Um, because, again, Steele shows shows a little bit of a side where he might, you know, he, he's still with it a little bit, but he's still kind of a jerk. But... Uh, He's another guy that you hate in this movie. And then I met him, and I'm just like, actually, I mentioned to him while I was talking to him, I'm just like, you know, I, I, I just kind of, I don't like you just because of, of Day of the Dead. You know, you're, you're kind of a jerk. And he, he just laughed. You know, he gets a kick out of that, that, you know, he played yeah. such, such a crazy character. And he knew, I mean, he knew I was, I was just kind of tugging, tongue in cheek about the whole thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but he does a great job. I mean, Clark, uh, as Steel. Uh, is fantastic in this role is just being a right. you know one of these goons that, and I, uh, I think that's go ahead I'm sorry no no go ahead I was just gonna say real quick I think that's interesting when you meet an actor and and you're so used to thinking of them in that role it's like almost impossible to realize okay this is a real person and they're not the person I know on the screen because I when I when I see someone like that I always just associate my feelings that I have for him while watching the movie or whatever. It's like, no, they're not that person. So that's really hard to draw that line for me. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I think isn't the rule of thumb something like uh, actors are typically the opposite of the characters that they always play or something like that? Yeah. There's some sort of, um, I don't know. But um, what I was going to say about Steele is um, I, I really don't think he's as bad as as all that, you know, I, I never hate him because he does have those moments of tenderness where, okay, not tenderness, but, you know, <laughs> anti-assholishness. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's like, a little say, bit of humanity left in him there. Yeah, yeah. where yeah. I mean, where he wants him to shoot Sarah and he's like, oh, OK, bang, you're dead. And then he's like, no, shoot her. And you can tell he does not want to do that. Like mm -hmm. that is something that he thinks is wrong and he really doesn't want to do it. And the only way he would do it is because then he is his own life is threatened. And then I also think it's kind of I mean, he's mean, you know, to Miguel, for instance. But I think that it's kind of sweet the way he cares for his men who, you know, I mean, he really gets upset that he's losing all these men. He really gets upset when they're put in danger. And I think that that does show a little bit of humanity there. And um, he probably, I mean, just like everyone else, they're under so much stress. It's yeah. unreal the amount of stress that all, these, that all these people are under. Some of them are just batshit crazy. 
you know, like Logan <laughs> and Rhodes. <laughs> I mean, Rhodes is way gone. Um, I mean, like he's trying to be in control, but um, I personally think he's a nut job. But <laughs> um, <laughs> then you have um, people like Steel. I think it's he's frightened, and it comes out as anger, as you know. You know, I'm doing that thing again where I'm <laughs> looking way too deep into these characters. No. But, um, you know, one character we haven't talked about is Fisher, and uh. I really like him. John Amplis is he's – an, he's an incredibly nice guy, yes. um, first of all, and he's classically trained. He's a brilliant stage actor, and I think that comes out in this film – it comes out in his portrayal. He's, you know, he's very calm through the most thing, through through, the, through most of it, and his delivery is very clean, um, just very composed, and you can tell he's serious about what he's doing. And then, of course, he gets that sort of, <laughs> I don't, I don't know, it's sort of a nonchalant headshot at the, <laughs> at the, the end. The very abrupt, there. yeah, kind you're of not, <laughs> yeah, you're not expecting that. You're like, whoa, uh, you know, it just. <laughs> Bam, and um, yeah. which Pat? That's Patrick's favorite death in the whole movie, actually, just because it does come out of it seems to come out of nowhere. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just it hits you in the face, and um, anyway. But yeah, I do like him a lot, and I failed to mention him earlier, and I should have because I think he does an excellent job. He's kind of in the background, you know. He's not. He doesn't have a, a bold personality like some of the other ones do, but uh, he's. He's an excellent actor, and he does a, a beautiful job in this. And so I meant to mention him, and I failed. I'm sorry. Well, thank you for, <laughs> for bringing him up. He's actually, I think, one of the most underrated uh, characters in this film because he plays a very, very important part. Um, and he, he's a great actor. I agree. Uh, this is another one that I've met. I met John Amplis uh, at Horror Realm here a few years ago. And, um, of course, most people will know him from Martin, which is a, a, an earlier Romero film, a quote vampire film, or is it, <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, you know, he, he does a great job in this movie. Um, he is uh, very close to Sarah, almost, uh, you know, kind of an advisor to her. Um, and He's still uh, got his head screwed on straight. Yes, to, yes. You know, which is a rarity in these times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's one of those ones, and I, I, I left him out kind of as the group of people that, are actually still thinking straight and uh, that still are down to earth uh, amidst all this insanity. And, uh, you know, it, it's sad, the ending that it comes to, but it's so great in this story, uh, in this film, uh, where this goes. So, uh, yeah, John Amplis does a great job. Um, one other actor that I'm, I'm going to mention in here before we move on, and, you know, kind of an actor, kind of not, um, Greg Nicotero actually appears in this film, um, but he is, he's one of the, uh, the military guys, um, kind of, you know, token up, having a good time, you know, smoking and joking about things. Uh, we see him most during the, the big meeting where, uh, Dr. Frankenstein comes in, Logan, he comes in late and, and, uh, has the big confrontation with Rhodes and, um, but uh, yeah, so he's actually seen in this film. He's actually kind of under Tom Savini's wing, um, effects-wise, makeup-wise, uh, during this film. And uh, he 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 did a lot of work here, but he was kind of under the supervision of of uh, Tom Savini, doing a lot of things. And of course, we see Nicotero doing just all kinds of wonderful things nowadays. Uh, yeah, you know, not, not to mention The Walking Dead and many many other things that uh, I'm sure we could go off on for a long time but um so it's interesting 
just all the the great personalities, the great actors, and the the great roles. You know this, you know uh, something Romero does so well is he he incorporates a great cross section of characters. You know we don't have a lot of the same kind of people uh, throughout the film. You know we have we have McDermott, the Irish guy. We uh, you know we have John, who's uh, from the islands, the islands man. He just wants to relax on the beach. You know and, mm-hmm. and just kind of. Uh, take it easy um but then we have we have the more clinical kind of uh, scientists you know with uh, logan and ted fisher and uh so the military you know just a great great cross-section of personalities and backgrounds here um and of course they all clash that's that's i think a great thing about great zombie films is it's not as much about the zombies as it is about the personalities, the people that you're thrusting into this situation to see how they react, to see what kind of little explosions that you can make happen just by putting all these people together. And um, that's what uh, Romero does so well and what so many people have tried to emulate here. So, In Midnight, Corey, since you were talking about Terry Alexander's character, John, I think one of the neat themes in this movie that I think sometimes, you know, overlooked a little bit is one that has to do with like um, the way we spend our time. Because I, I loved his his feelings on this. Like you can either work, strain, and struggle and kick a kick against the pricks, so to speak, or you can just try to enjoy your life as as best you can while you have it. And I absolutely love that. That's something that actually rings true to me personally in my own life, unfortunately, in some ways. But, um, you know, because to him, in the beginning of the movie, he he has a line about that. He's like, well, why aren't we just kicking it on the beach? And you know what I mean? Just get away from (laughs) all this and just start over again. And and because, you know, time is all we got left and we might as well enjoy it because there's no reversing this. And... You know, I won't I won't go into any spoilers, but I think it's interesting how the film ends up and what ends up being their their solution. And so to me, I, it just makes me wonder about that, because one of the things that's important to me about cinema is how I apply it to my own life. And there is this uh, work work a day mentality where you go to, to work during the day and during the day the company owns you. But when you come home at night, I mean, some people just watch TV for hours. And that's their free time. And it's like, well. You know, I, I do see the merit in that if that's your thing is TV or movies or whatever it is, because, you know, you got to enjoy your time while you have it. Mm. That's a, that's a great point. You know, it, it's you talked about it at the beginning of the film. He makes a con uh, a, um, a comment there as they're walking out of the helicopter going underground. But it's especially mm-hmm. revealed in the big scene where Sarah goes down to the oasis that uh, they have set up, which I love that scene. And yeah. um, he almost, um, and I want to ask you guys about this, he almost gets preachy, you know, very, very, um, uh, he, he's just really laying it out there and getting philosophical about things. And it's not that he just wants to enjoy life and just just whatever, be carefree, but he talks about the creator you know, he talks about bigger things. You know, the creator didn't intend for us to to keep all these records and to to do all this. We're getting too big for our britches, you know. And and it talks about that. So, um, what do you think of his monologue 
when Sarah's down there having a drink in this oasis and he's just kind of going off about all these records they're keeping and who's ever going to dig these up again. And, and, uh, so I don't know, Jamie, how do you see this scene? Is he getting too preachy or is this, is this okay? You know, I, um, I wouldn't say I necessarily agree with everything that he says, but it doesn't, you know, that's his character's point of view, so I'm not going to hold it against him. I There is the one part, I mean, a lot of that I do agree with, but there's the part where he's like, you know, we teach them, you know, we go off, we have babies, and we teach them, we teach them not to come over here and dig this stuff out. And I am the kind of person who... As a kid, I dated everything I ever did. Like I put a date on all the drawings and the coloring books and everything. Like coloring, mm-hmm. even in a coloring book, I would put the date that I colored the picture. Aww. Um, and I, <laughs> I've always done that. I've been, I'm a psycho about like because I, you know, if I go back and look at something, I, I think it's kind of fun to see when it was and to think about what I was doing at the time. And so things like that are are important to me. Um, and so personally, I would love to go back to an old civilization and dig out all those records. And I think it's really cool that they're hanging on to them, like the negatives from Hollywood movies and things like that, because it would break my heart if they were lost, you know. But and, and you know, and I can also see what he's saying at the same time. But um, it reminds me of Ken Foray's speech in Day of the Dead. I mean, I'm sorry, Dawn. You know, about um, how when there's, you know, the dead will walk the earth when there's no more room in hell. I think that there's always a sort of slant in each of these films. Someone has that philosophical view of what's going on and that there's a there's a reason for it, a much bigger reason for what's happening. And I guess that's just, um, you know, their point of view. Not being religious myself, I don't really put that much thought into it. Hmm. But... um you know, I don't know. I, I I really do like that moment, though. I like that moment of honesty from him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just adds a little bit more depth to his character. And I love when she comes down there and she's like, you know, uh, I don't even want to go into it. And, and he's like, no, tell me what's on your mind. And she's like, I came down here to get drunk. I don't have the energy for this. And he's like, it takes a lot more energy to keep it in than it does to let it out. So put your cards on the table, basically. And that's, I just, I love that about his character. He is very upfront. He is very, this is what I feel about it. So it makes perfect sense to me that he would, you know, launch into that diatribe about what he feels is going on. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I, yeah, you know, in a post-apocalyptic setting, if you think about it, when you weren't panicking and acting like a maniac, then you probably would wax kind of uh, philosophical (laughs) a little bit. And one of my favorite, in addition to Midnight Corey, one of my other favorite zombie experts is a guy named Kyle Bishop. He's a professor and he's a literal expert. He's amazing. And he, I've, I've talked to him about this film before and he talks about how the problem with zombie film survivors is almost always that they're just trying to hold on to the old world. They want to um, hold on to the old ways and try to figure out how to recapture the old days and to fix it, to reverse you know, mm-hmm. the spread of it. But he said, you know, the ones, the real way to proceed in a zombie apocalypse, according to um, Dr. Bishop, is that they should move on and try to get reacclimate themselves with the new world that's before them. And I really think that that's what this character is talking about. And 
if, if this were to happen, someday it might, you know, who knows? <laughs> it, it, I think this is uh, definitely a philosophy to consider. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be like um, the grasshopper and play all day and not like the ant and prepare for things. But I do think that if the world gets this bleak and this dismal, that we would still need to take time to enjoy um, things and move forward with life instead of always reflecting on the past. Well said. Well said. Very well said. I, I, I think <laughs> we see that conflict again in between uh, uh, Sarah and Logan um, because Logan is doing all this research yes. in order to cope with what is going on right now and how to move on, how to civilize these zombies, make them behave, but basically to deal with the problem from how we see it right now and to move on. And Sarah is not happy with this because she's like, well, we have to concentrate on what's causing it. We have to figure out what's causing it because she, again, is holding on to the older way. She has hope thinking that we can reverse the process and go back to where we were. So, you know, that same kind of conflict is playing out in that relationship as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And of course, talking about Dr. Logan, uh, his, his prize, uh, student, if you will, uh, is Bub. Bub, a legendary zombie, my favorite zombie of all time, uh, by the way. Um, I just, uh, I love this zombie, but it's, um, it's, it's taken this, this thought, this whole plot line of uh, zombies evolving, zombies learning, uh, the zombies keeping elements of their past somehow by some, some sort of memory. Um, and it's it's building upon that. And to me, this movie, what they do with Bub, is perfect in the, quote, evolution of zombies to how zombies can learn and evolve and adapt in a very, very rudimentary kind of way, in a very uh, primitive sort of way as far as they can hold on to kind of glimpses of memories, uh, but very imperfectly. And... Uh, I think Romero takes it as far as it logically can go and he leaves it uh, where it can be without going over a line that I think he crosses in some of his later movies that we've talked about before and I, I won't get into. But Amen. <laughs> Amen. I think he, he, again, he brings it to that line and he leaves it perfectly with what Bub does. So, Jamie... Uh, yes. What do you think? Do you agree? Oh, yeah. Uh, those are some of my favorite moments. And even though Bud's not uh, Bud, Bub's not my favorite zombie. Um, he's he's right up there. Um, Box Arco Pitcairn just kind of edges mm. him out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jay, you'll have to tell us who your all-time favorite zombie is too, by the way. But um, yeah. I do love those moments with him uh, where he's you know listening to he's listening to the music he's you know shaving he's you know reading well not really but holding a book um it and again oh and and it just it breaks my heart when Rhodes comes in and starts basically taunting him you know he refuses to return the salute and I feel like that really hurts him you know like he's very saddened by that and again, I feel myself emotionally drawn to this zombie and there's something still there. There's something still human about him. And it makes me sad to see him sad. 
And um, I think uh, it was just, it's no wonder that he is a huge favorite um, yeah. because I think he had that effect on everyone. And yeah, I think he does take it as far as he, as far as he can. And I don't really find myself disbelieving that any of that could happen. I don't ever go, you know, well, a zombie would never do that. I mean, I don't know. It's not like he's riding a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, or, or a bike. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but I'm glad you did. Uh, I know you weren't, but <laughs> I knew you were thinking it. <laughs> yes. I, I was even, I was, you know, I was going even to uh, Big Daddy Zombie, who I think was an extension of Bub um, in land. And I had a lot of problems with that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just, he, he, he took bub and then he just pushed it a little too far to uh, too far over the line. You know, he left it again at a perfect spot in day, you know, to something that didn't cross a line and kind of left me thinking, kept me speculating about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just went, I don't know, way, way over the line with land, but, uh, Jay, what are your thoughts on bub? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so this is a great uh, debate topic, actually. And and to me, yes, I agree with everything you've said. Actually, I I totally agree. I loved it that it, because it does make sense that he's tapping into this rote instinctive movements that he's done for years and years. Because obviously his um brain works to some extent. And even we see that Bub in this um kind of remembers things and remembers um. And recognizes things. So I think that's interesting. Like he, he recognizes uh, roads, for example. And so that's something that, that I think is good. And I love that he leaves it ambiguous. Like you said, he goes right up to the line. So there's that. And um, anyway, so yeah, I don't think that... Um, the only thing I, where he really approaches the borderline for me is when uh, Bub is uh, using a, a pistol. And it's like, I'm totally against zombies with them. Um, machine guns as we see in the mm-hmm. the new day day of the dead film <laughs> but like in this the way that they come across him relearning or how to use the pistol or whatever i'm like okay I'll, I'll get with that but you know i'm not crazy about that but still i'm with you and and by the way on bub i was gonna mention i believe that he is the first named zombie in cinematic history isn't that true midnight Corey? Oh, I believe so. Now you got me uh got me on the spot. I'm trying to think back here. Have they ever named a zombie yeah. before uh, 1985? I don't believe they have. And 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 except for like, you know, you get a discount comedy zombie films in this, but this is one of the very first examples that I know of or can think of where a zombie is actually portrayed as a protagonist in the film as actually like a like a good guy so to speak. Ooh. You know, put, setting comedies aside, you know, because right. usually they're monsters. But um, and I think that's really interesting too. Good point. Hmm. My favorite thing Bub does, and this is a very um, well, it's not overly subtle, but it's somewhat subtle. And this is Howard Sherman's performance when when he uh, touches the doctor, uh, the Frankenstein. He does this look, and it's like to me, I read that as like, oh, he's like. Something is awakened within him again about the importance of human touch, and I think that's a very um uh, no pun intended, but it's a touching moment to me because it's like wow he he for a split second he gets this glimpse or this glimmer of what it's like to be human 
Hmm. Aww. Very I interesting. That's so sweet. I know the exact moment that you're talking about, yeah. too. And mm-hmm. um, that is a very sweet moment for me because in in uh, one split second, the Logan is, you can see he's almost, he's afraid for a second. And then he realizes that it's okay. You know, it's not, he's not going to hurt him. And, and, and for that split second, sweet. Bub's expression is very ravenous for just a split second because he grabs his <laughs> arm and that look, he fixes his eyes on that arm. And you, you know, I mean, his first instinct is here's some flesh. And, <laughs> and again, you know, that corresponds with, with Logan's expression of fear. And mm-hmm. so that's, it's but a great scene. Then he pulls scene. it back. Yeah. It's a fantastic scene. Just a very small, a very small snippet of time, but it, so much is said right there. And, uh, you know, Logan has the whole, I mean, there's his whole backstory with his, his mother issues and his, <laughs> yes. you know, the tape recording that they find and um, where, and then, and he has this whole issue with reward, you know, where he yes. talks about, and it's very important to him that you have to reward, you have to reward. And then he talks about how we as children are taught to behave by being promised a reward of something greater later on. Mm-hmm. And of course, right there, the first thing that, that comes to mind is, uh, is religion for me. And, yes. um, you know, the promise of heaven, if you do what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. on here on earth. And to me, that kind of ties in with, with what's being talked about later by John. And I like, I, I don't know, like I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering if he sees, like he never, he never says, but like, I wonder if Logan sees what's going on as sort of a punishment for us misbehaving as maybe John does. You know, but he never goes that far. He just says, as children, you know, we're taught that there's something greater or, or a, rather a reward later on. And so that's what I think he's alluding to. And wow. um, um, so good. But then, yeah. of course, he's talking about uh, at that particular moment, he's talking about, you know, feeding them not the beef treats that <laughs> they don't they don't particularly care for. But it's just that they're just you just oh, my God, you could just peel back the layers forgive me for getting so excited about this stuff but it's just i just love just peeling back the layers of all of this and there's so much subtlety in here yes that the the implications are so brilliant in this um i mean we could go off on countless tangents i mean i haven't even brought up what the relationship between sarah and miguel was before we okay. hit this movie because that's a whole other subplot going on. Mm-hmm. It's actually a, an important thing going on throughout this whole thing and, and why certain things happen. Um, because, and it's all implied again, it's all just some hints that we hear in dialogue. Uh, you know, the, the play that we see between Sarah and Miguel, because it is certainly not a tender relationship at this point. Um, right. There was definitely something pretty hot and heavy in, in in the past between them, but that is far from what we see here. But you you imagine all of that, you know, it's implied, and again, there there's just so much of that running through this film yeah, that it could. I mean, we could go off all night. Yes, on this thing. I love it <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and I get yeah, Maven Jamie. I got to give you props. I agree with you 100. percent That was one of the themes 
that I wrote down was that little stab at religion. That's how I in, in, interpreted it. And I think it makes a nice counterpoint. Like you said, what we were talking about with, you know, should we enjoy the present or should we prepare for some future day that we're hopeful will arrive? And right. I think that's tremendous. Now, see, I'm a religious man myself, but I think that in a film, this is a very interesting point and counterpoint that Romero gives us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a that's a great point. I I don't know that I actually thought of religion. I thought more of um, he was just looking toward life in general, you know, just from a, a very um, a material standpoint as you go through life and you're expecting something, something. OK, you're you're going to you're going to work hard. You're going to do well. You're going to be a good person as far as, you know, the people see and there's some kind of reward coming. Where is it? But as you get older, you live life. It's like, where is that reward? I mean, what what do I get for all of this? You know, and so I, I think I saw it for more of a um, a material kind of thing. And I don't think I ever saw religion as part of the metaphor, but it's very interesting. Um, that's so. totally valid. I think I personally, I grew up Baptist. I really have no choice but to see it mm. as religious. <laughs> it's kind of pounded into your head from a young age but um i think i think whatever you take from it is completely valid you know it's something it's one of those things that is very personal and you will take from it what you take from it you know just like any other piece of art i think it that that's to me that's one of the most important things about art is that it allows people to take from it what their experiences will allow them to. And um, I love hearing other sides, you know, different views of what, you know, this is what I saw and, you know, tell me what you saw. So I, I love that. Hmm. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. So and Corey, much. sorry, I was just gonna oh. say you're, you're a musician too, Midnight Corey. And I mean, people look at that um, mu- music the same way. You write a song, it means something to you. Someone hears it, it means something different to them. I think that's a wonderful thing about art. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. I I appreciate that, that everybody reads into it differently. Um, So many of my favorite artists um, are, you know, approach their message that way, too, and that Mm -hmm. uh, they they say, well, what do you get from this? You know, because people ask them, you know, what did you mean with with this song or what did you mean with this painting? What were you trying to communicate? And a lot of my favorite artists will say the same thing. They'll say, well... What's your story? Oh, I mean, when you look at this, when you hear this, what do you think? <laughs> what do you get from it? And yeah. you hear, you know, a million different interpretations of it based on your experience, based on your upbringing, based on your 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 thoughts and feelings at the time. And uh, that, it, to me, that's the mark of great art and, um, you know, exactly. something that... Uh, I think can be appreciated over time and that it stands the test of time. And this is a movie that has stood the test of time. Like I said, you know, I, this is a movie you can watch nowadays and still be shocked by, still be horrified by, you know, even though, you know, it's approaching 30 years old. Can you believe this is almost 30 years old? (laughs) Oh my God. That means I'm almost, well, I don't want to talk about it. Right. But this doesn't date itself. I mean, there's nothing in this movie that dates it 
is saying, oh, man, this is so 80s. You got to put yourself in the 80s to, to really appreciate yeah, this. I, I agree with that. I don't I don't really think that there is, you know, which you with Dawn, there are a lot of things that scream 70s about yeah. the dawn from the very opening in the TV station where there's the red carpet on the walls to going any <laughs> to any of the stores in the mall, you know, to the the music to I mean, just everything but i love that about it i mean it's very nostalgic for those yeah. reasons but with this film they're underground they're surrounded by rock you know there's not yeah. really anything that is going to i mean even the clothes necessarily most of them are wearing uniforms so right. it doesn't really lend itself to that yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's mostly uh you know 80s feelings and attitude like jamie you were saying about cold war kind of kind of mm -hmm. feelings and uh, themes that we see in here, but uh, you know, it's not as much visuals and, and things like that because, again, it's very clinical. You know, you see scientific sort of white jackets and military fatigues, and that's about it. You don't see much else, so uh, you know, it's it's uh, not dated visually, but uh, you know, certainly from your standpoint, like you were talking about, and and the time in which it was made. I mean, that, that's uh, definitely valid. Um, you know, and what we see, but, um, so uh, we go through the film, uh, uh, man, violence, just beyond violence here. Um, brutality. I mean, things that, uh, we talked about before, just the, the arm amputation, um, the, the zombie carnage that happens, the zombies are let down into this facility and, and we just see all sorts of things happening. Uh, you know, one of my favorite things is when Rickles is torn apart and literally his eyes are gouged out, his fingers are bitten off. I mean, this is, Ugh. this is brutal. That scene, <laughs> I had to turn away. I did. I turned away. <laughs> yeah. 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 Again, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, giving uh, credit to, uh, you know, Savini and his, his magic with effects um jay i mean this this ending scene of this zombie carnage this this violence <laughs> and brutality I, I mean what's your take on this man well i'm so glad that you asked me that because uh, well first of all just as a little preface i think correct me if i'm wrong but of all six of the romero films i think this is the one where zombies get the least screen time and yet they're the most violent i i, I think that's the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, as far as the carnage, I've often wondered a lot about, um, zombies and why they're, why the kills are so gruesome and what that's about. Cause we know that zombies often have a lot of symbolism behind them. And so I did, I read this, um, book by Glenn Kay. It's called Zombie Movies, The Ultimate Guide. I really like that book. And in there, he talks about the, where it might have come from. There's a, a history of like, Haiti's turbulent leadership and there was one of the leaders that like killed a bunch of people this yeah. is around 1915 they hated this guy he was a general and anyway long story short he was uh, captured by the mob of people and they literally like dragged him out of his palace into the street and ripped his body into pieces that he was like ripped apart alive so it's very gruesome and so I wonder like what you know with Rhodes and what we see with Rickles um, I wonder if that was some kind of a tribute. But, you know, in answer to that, I asked that to um, the Kyle Bishop guy that I mentioned earlier, and, and he, he kind of refuted that, and he said, 
he thought it was kind of a little bit of retcon. He said, because if you look back in the earlier zombie films, you can tell me if this is true, Midnight Corey. He said, you don't really see that kind of violence until the 1960s. And from his studies, he thinks that the heightened level of violence comes from two things, which is the after effect of Vietnam, because mm. a lot of these people who worked on these films were vets, you know, because for Savini, for example, was a photographer in the war. Right. And then in 68 was the first year after the end of the production code. And so they were able to actually distribute unrated films and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, the violence in this film is uh, remarkable. And I think it's the best and the most gruesome uh, of, of the whole franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Great words. Um, but no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a, an interesting thought, you know, you got me thinking about the whole, you know, the, the Haitian, um, parallel there. And, uh, because of course going back in history, I actually Haiti is, is something I'm, I'm really interested in. I've actually been to Haiti myself. Um, mm. and, uh, so that's an interesting thing. I got to give that more thought. Um, because I knew of, of its history and how it's been a lot of corrupt leaders and, and just a history of, of really bad things there. But, uh, I never quite have made, you know, I didn't quite make that, that, uh, metaphor, uh, between this and that. So that's, uh, that's definitely worth giving some, some thought to, but, um, but no, I, I mean, I see this again. Um, to me, this is a parallel to Dawn. And, uh, you know, the carnage that we see at the end of Dawn, uh, of course, we see carnage, uh, you know, along the same lines at the end of day. Uh, you know, we, we see an invasion of the stronghold and, uh, you know, the violence that erupts in its wake. Um, and uh, this violence, though, man, and it's just uh, it's beyond what you saw in Dawn and uh Man. Yeah, it makes me cringe every time. I mean, Jamie, yeah, I, I just, I don't look away because I'm just that sick kind of person that, you know, I, I have to see all the, every frame of violence and, and everything. But uh, yeah, it's it's approaching, it's approaching that. I mean, even when the zombies are going going around and, and it's just, it's random violence, you know, after things have, have almost kind of cooled down and the zombies are just kind of doing their thing and they're eating people and they're dragging out guts and they're kind of dragging carts around the place and, and going through the lab. I mean, it's it's just disturbing and gruesome and crazy. Um, but after that, here's one of the most amazing things about this film to me is the very, very ending. Um, there is hope at the end of this film. Uh, without spoiling it, there is hope and like a positive note at the very end of this film, and which is kind of weird for Romero, especially after seeing Night and Dawn. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we see, you know, things might be okay after this movie. I mean, Jay, do you see that? Yeah, absolutely. And really, yeah, because yeah, I'm, I want to be super careful about anything I say that has to do with spoilers or whatever. So I'll, I guess I'll just say this, Midnight Corey. My, one of my favorite things about this ending is how it's delivered to us, um, which yeah. is to say we don't, we don't necessarily see how it gets to that point. It's just like um, we're at that point. And it's like, wow, that's... I you don't really see that a whole lot in any other films. And especially if you look at the 
the horrible ending, which we'll get to in the new Day of the Dead movie. <laughs> oh my god, uh, my gosh, that makes me violent. Anyway, but um, yes, I love the way this. Wow, is. if it makes <laughs> Day of the Dead violent, <laughs> man. Uh, anyway, that's yeah, we'll, wow. we'll talk about that. Okay. But yeah, the, yeah, so that are my those are my feelings about the end. Wow, that's that's a good point because again, it's playing on the themes of Sarah's dream sequences, you know, mm-hmm. that we see throughout, and uh, yeah, it's actually delivered really great. But uh, Jamie, what do you think of the ending to this? Uh, well, I agree with Jay on that, and I love the way we're we're sort of taken out of the film, the way we were brought into it, and um, I don't, I kind of like the fact that there, I really do. Uh, I like the ending, I, and what. It's fun for me is the juxtaposition after you get the huge amount of carnage, which is something I always look forward to. And every one of these zombie movies, there's always that point where they break through the stronghold and then there's just mass carnage. And, um, and then in, then of course, well, the only, the only part I turned away from was the eyeball thing. That was the only mm. thing. And I just kind of like, Ooh, you know, <laughs> cause I have a thing about eyeballs, but, um, <laughs> But it's just, and I love, and when you were talking about where you're just seeing the random scenes of them just kind of going about their business, you know, and, you know, dragging bodies here and there and fighting over guts and all that. And then from that, we get the ending that we get. And it's, it's like two complete opposite sides of a coin. Um, You know, one is completely just melee and, and just violent. And then there's the hopefulness and sort of a serenity. And I, I like that. I like that after all of what we've just been through, we get to leave with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, again, very, very strange after the ending that we saw in Dawn, which was very dark. And, uh, after seeing a very, very dark, brutal movie, like we saw with day to have it end like it was, it's, uh, it's very curious, but it works. And it's very satisfying. It's not like a Hollywood kind of, ooh, well, everything's going to be okay. Everything's wrapped up. They go into <laughs> the sunset, and we're happy. This is the feel-good hit of the summer right here that we've just mm-hmm. seen. You know, it's it's really not. <laughs> it's uh, this little glimmer of hope that we saw amidst all this brutality that we just had to experience. And uh, it, it, it's brilliant, and then it works. You know, I it, think it's, it's kind of important uh, in, in this situation to sort of bring you out of that deep depression that the rest of the film puts you in. Mm. Um, you know, he's sort of bringing you back from the depths, which is very kind of him. You know, some, I mean, I don't always look for a happy ending. I don't watch horror films for warm fuzzies. Right. Um, I really like the. I really <laughs> like when everyone dies or when there's a dark ending. Sometimes it's really nice, but um, you know, like say with Requiem for a Dream. When I saw that movie, I mean, talk about a dark ending. That was like a funeral procession when everyone was leaving the theater after that film because no one could say a word. And it was just like, and you just felt like all of your energy had been completely sapped from you. You know, and I think if this film had ended any other way, it probably would have been the same. Yeah. You know, so we kind of need that to pull us back out of the swamp of sadness and I mean, like, you know, it's okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, and then I always another thing I love is going to see these movies in the broad daylight. So it's completely dark in the theater. So then you see a movie like this, and then you walk out, and it's just bright sunshine. Mm-hmm. There's something about that. I don't know. That's just the thing that I like. I'm oh. like, oh, look at that. It's really dark in there, and it's really scary. And then you come out, and it's all bright sunshine and a okay. 
Yeah, yeah, that always that always. It's just a fun fact. <laughs> no, that that's always a crazy thing about going to the theater, especially to see films. You know, especially if you see a horror film in the theater, and you go for like a matinee, or you go during the summer when it might end. You know, while the sun is still up, and uh, so you've just seen this dark, dark, depressing movie, and you're all wigged out. You've been in the in the complete dark for hours, and then you kind of go out and and all of a sudden, you know, it's still daylight. Oh wow! It's it almost like you just you've landed on a different planet. At the, you know, right. <laughs> it's so strange. I'm like, oh, every time it surprises me that it's still daylight. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's weird. Yeah, um, yeah. So, any more thoughts, guys, about uh, the original Day of the Dead? And of course, I mean this this could warrant probably many more hours of things to talk about. And we've skimmed over, you know, a lot of important things. But uh, anything else you'd like to bring up before we move on to the? Uh, the remake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so any yeah. final thoughts? Jay, anything else before we, we go here? Yeah, I have a quick barrage of things. I'll just kind of go down through it quick sure. so we can get on to our, our next one. But um, number one, I, I love, in the very beginning of this review, you were talking about how um, we're pretty much underground for a lot of the film, for most of it. And I actually love that. That's something that Romero did with um, Night as well where we, we really maintain the perspective as the viewers of the film, as the people who are involved in it, as the characters. We don't get to peer outside and see like what the zombies are doing outside as much. We basically get to see what the people in the film see. And I think that's um, really creepy, and it lends an air of suspense to me. So I love that. Uh, another thing I love is uh, that even though... By today's standards, I mean, you, you, I agree with what you said with this. I don't think that any other zombie film has the level of quality uh, gore as this one does. I mean, it's probably my favorite gore film for zombies. But um, I have seen things that I think are more uh, true to life, as in, like, when I see, like, the flesh ripping and the blood squirting everywhere in, in 28 days or 28 weeks later, I, I think that's probably what it would look more like. But having said, I know, I know. But having said that, <laughs> I, I gotta say, that, uh, I love that there's um almost a cake look to these zombies, like like in in Dawn of the Dead when they bite into the shoulder. It, it it's like I don't know. It makes me want to eat cake. It's the weirdest thing. <laughs> but there's something appetizing. <laughs> like I'm sure that stuff doesn't taste very good. It's not like they put sugar in the effects, you know, or whatever. But um, I don't know. There's something about watching the 80s gore that I think is just so neat. So anyway, I just had to throw that out there, as bizarre as that seems. And, and another thing I love about this film uh, Sorry. is in... <laughs> well, yeah, I want to eat cake while I watch zombie movies. I can't help it. Uh, I just have to absorb this. This is... I, wow. <laughs> well, and, and plus, I'm, I am a, I'm a fanatic for 28 days and 28 weeks later. But anyway... Yeah. Another thing that I think is really unique about this film is the um, explanation. Um, it goes, he tries to go into, Frankenstein tries to go into some, I, I guess, ways of explaining like how the zombies are functioning or not functioning physiologically, and I think that's super interesting. I love that. The guy's voice for the trailer on this is oh, yeah. amazing my favorite trailer voice ever it's so low and scary i just love that i know that's a random fact and um and why zombies i just thought i'd throw this out too 
The reason why zombies are so effective to me, especially in a movie like this, is because it taps into that childhood fear or excitement that you feel when you're playing tag and you're being chased by somebody. It's that same thing, and I feel that when I watch this movie, and that's another reason why I just think it's so effective. It taps into the fear of something is going to get me, and I I just love that. And I guess the last thing I'll say before we uh, go to our rating, are we going to rate this one, Corey? Um, I don't know if it's even if it makes sense because it's okay. I think across the board, it's going to be like as high as it can go, but uh, we still can. I mean, okay, no, that's fine. Yeah, let's do it. It's totally your show, brother. But I just, um, yeah, before I get into any of that, my favorite, I just want to answer Jamie's question. My favorite zombie ever is, um, is is actually, and this will be controversial, it's probably not a zombie by Midnight Quarry standards. Uh It's more of an infected. And it's the skinny zombie running in 28 days later in the tunnel when they're in the tunnel and they're changing the tire or whatever and they got to like get out of that tunnel. And then you see these people running. There's this skinny, really skinny zombie silhouette. He seems pretty athletic. He's my favorite. And if you didn't want to count him, my second favorite would be the female, the tall, freaky female zombie at the end of Wreck that you see with the night vision camera. Oh. That's a freaking scary zombie. The, so anyway. You, you mean like Patient Zero? The, the, oh, yeah. The, the, yeah. The original yeah, yeah, yeah. chick? Why does she have a hammer? That's oh, what man. I want to know. Like, hey, what is she yeah. doing I I sit here. I'm sitting here in my office, you know, turning around, looking over my shoulder as we talk about I her. I just got goosebumps. Why'd you bring that up? Oh man, so scary! <laughs> I'm in my basement, you guys. <laughs> Scariest zombie ever. Anyway, oh, that is scary. Totally. I uh, when I watched that, I couldn't. I lived alone at the time, and I was trying to do write up a review about it. I just kept looking around from my desk every time I heard a noise. I'm like, what? What was that? What? <laughs> I gotta turn on the so lights now. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Well, what, Jay, I, I'm tempted to debate you on your your zombie points, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll let you I'll let you go with it. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's all right. But uh, no, I mean, it's all about uh, what what sticks with you and what really gets mm-hmm. to you. And uh, no, I, I totally get that. Um, but. Uh, no, I, it, number two on my list is actually Flyboy from uh, from Dawn. You know, oh, my number yeah. two uh, zombie of all time. I love his to, crazy walk. That's yes, awesome. that ankle, <laughs> the dangling gun, and the and gun, the oh, black yeah. jaw. Oh, yes, uh, the hole in his throat. I mean, everything is is just perfect. But that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> so anyhow, uh, yeah, Jamie, any uh, any final thoughts? Uh, on day here before we we rate this and get on to the to the awesome well, remake. It does not make me want to eat cake. <laughs> I'm just, cake. Why cake? Yeah. Of all things, though, why cake? I don't. I don't it looks like cake, summer. kind of. <laughs> and Tom Savini very well might have used cake for some of those scenes. I mean, he was known to be very resourceful. He he did go to the to the catering table for you know some. Some different ingredients <laughs> true, for his effects. True. So, so who knows? To, at some point, don't be surprised if you get a delivery from me that is a cake shaped like a shoulder. And <laughs> yes. I love it. That'd and I will great. fully expect you to take a bite yes. out of it. Theo's shoulder from, from Don. Yeah, it would be but, great. Um, no, I think you made some excellent points. I, um, I, however, don't really see infected as zombies. I'm kind of a purist <laughs> to that. You know, if they're not dead, then I, I just, they're not dead. 
but um but that's your that's totally valid on on your part i'm not trying to argue that that's a really scary dude running i know exactly who you're talking about and that's totally scary dude <laughs> so i can see that um i don't really you know i think we pretty much covered everything that i can think of i love this movie you know i, I love it yeah it's my it's actually my second my number two zombie movie right behind dawn cool cool mm. well i'm gonna go around and force you guys to give some numbers uh now as far as a, a one to ten rating um so jay uh, where does this is okay. this a perfect 10 for you do you rate what, this you, the size that'll go do you do halves on this show of course i go quarters or eighths you know? oh wow okay <laughs> <laughs> wherever that's, wherever you want to go it's it's that's up to awesome you. So. Okay, yeah, from 1 to 10, I, I'm a 9.5 on this, mm-hmm. which is, and here's the thing, if maybe a lot of people don't know me out there, but I'm a super uh, hard, hard critic, I guess. It's really rare for me to give a 10 ever, and so 9.5 is super high. I just want everybody to know that up front, because this is my favorite Romero um, dead film, and, and it's one of my all-time favorite zombie films. And so, yeah, I think it's a 9.5, and it's a definite buy. You should certainly buy this if it's not in your collection already Mm, absolutely jamie what do you think Ooh, two (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm kidding i'm kidding wow crickets (laughs) i know that was yeah i did uh, ouch Not that funny. one went over like a lead balloon. Um, <laughs> There's some things you just shouldn't joke about. <laughs> yeah. This is serious stuff here, Jamie. I'm sorry. Oh, let them eat cake. <laughs> I, <laughs> funny. Funny. I, um, no, I, ooh. You know, I, uh, I'm really tempted. I want to go, I want to go a 10 here, but I'm so hard pressed to give 10s. I just, it's, you've got to beat it out of me to give a 10 and there are some i guess there are some things that i really can't in good conscience avoid um so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go a nine i guess that's i really personally there's there's technically we've been over this every time we do this (laughs) i have there's the technical rating this is why i don't do number ratings i hate them because there's a technical rating and then there's my personal rating like how it affects me emotionally emotionally it's off the scale you know um if i want to get hardcore technical about it then i'd have to go probably even lower than that so i'm gonna go nine i'm gonna be happy with that and stick it there and i'm gonna say yeah buy it if you like zombies this has got to be in your collection and if you're a romero fan then if it's not already Something is seriously wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think, I just don't understand how you can be a horror fan and you've never seen this, at least. You know, appreciate it or not appreciate it. I don't care, but at least have seen it. It's, a, it to me, from such a golden age, not the golden age, but a golden <laughs> age of horror. You know, the 80s. It's just so many, especially 1985. I mean, that was a great year, I think, for horror films. Um, but, uh yeah, for me, 9.5, and Jay, as you well know, and I've, I've, I've said to you many, many times, I don't give 10s, um, except for one film, and that's Dawn of the Dead. Yep, um, that's yep. a perfect 10. No other movie touches this, including Day of the Dead, 
which is just such a great movie, but uh, there are so many personal things that go into it when you saw it. Um, it just, I've, I've been through this so many times before, but uh, I, I can't give a 10 to anything except Dawn. This is a 9.5. I mean, like I said, at the very, very beginning of this review, I, I, I watched it again the other day for the thousandth time and it mm-hmm. still got to me, man. It's still, wow. Wow. It, yeah. it, it was still very shocking and gory and it's so enjoyable and I loved it and I just, oh man. Um, just real quick. Yeah, I, I do. I do have to say this. Um, when whenever we review a film like this, that's such a classic and that most people are so familiar with, I always wonder if the listeners out there think, "Okay, well, why are we going into this classic old film that everybody's seen?" But you know what? My secret hope is, Corey, uh, as we record this podcast, I hope that there are some young listeners out there because I know a lot of um, the listeners are young. Mm-hmm. who have never actually given this a try because it's from the 80s or whatever. And, and so I hope they hear this and they actually take us at our word and pop this in and try it out and just be dazzled. Because I'm telling you, listeners out there, young listeners, if you have not seen Day of the Dead, it's one of those experiences where it's like, I wish I could go back in time and re-experience the first time I experienced this all over oh, again. Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you, Jay, for saying that because I know that there are younger listeners out there, and I know a great example of this. Uh, my nephew is twelve right now, and he is just starting to get into a lot of zombie films, a lot of horror films, and he loves <laughs> zombies above all else, which makes me so proud, you nice. know, because I know I know I had a part in that, and uh, so it's really cool. But I just introduced him to uh, The Dead. Uh, 2010. Oh, very I, nice. You know, f- um, for Christmas last year, I bought him Zombie 2 and uh, the original <laughs> Dawn of the Dead, um, which he he actually saw the remake before the original. And uh, so, you know, it's an interesting kind of perspective there. But mm. uh, he is listening to this podcast and uh, he, he loves everything that he hears from here. And I know that uh, I, I turned him on to Troll Hunter thanks to you two and and uh, the review that we did mm, but yes. um i know that there is him and people like him listening to this that uh, you know are only seeing what is in the theater only seeing red box things and and um not necessarily being able to sift through all the movies in the past because we have so many movies coming out now yeah. And, uh, you know, so many, I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of movies. And who knows what you really should be checking out. But uh, I think this is really valuable. And mm-hmm. uh, this is this is a film that uh, is in the top tier by far of horror films that you have to see, especially if you're into zombies. This is a must see. So, uh, yeah, Amen. That's, that's really important. So thank you, Jay. So, I wish you were my uncle, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> what a cool uncle i mean you're good oh that's all that kid's lucky to have you what so shout out to uh cory's nephew this is for you brother oh hey absolutely yeah i'm so proud wow wow well that means a lot and he's i he's, love to see i love to see the young ones coming up with an appreciation for the good stuff and that means a lot to me oh yeah Oh, you should have seen the look on his face when I I popped in the uh, the scenes from Zombie 2. 
um, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the eye scene, uh, to be to be exact. Oh, Just, oh uh, that's a nice yikes. one. Yeah, he's. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I kind of scarred him for life. It changes life. Uh, yeah. That's that's okay. So that's, I'm all right with that. But uh, thank you again. Uh, Day of the Dead. I can't say uh, I can't say enough about it. So let's move on. In 2008, we got a remake. Quote a remake. And uh, this was one I was actually sort of optimistic about because of the Dawn of the Dead remake, which was surprisingly good in a lot mm-hmm. of regards, and I, I really enjoyed. So I heard they were remaking Day, and uh, that none other than Steve Miner was attached to this. He directed Day of the Dead, and of course, Steve Miner is kind of an icon in horror. He, he's been attached to a lot of really great projects throughout the years uh he, he had something to do with last house on the left which, you know i don't prefer but you know he he did some things with that uh the first several friday the 13th movies he was attached to night of the creeps house halloween h2o lake placid i mean he's done a lot with horror and he's done a lot of it well and uh so i found it hard for him to screw something up like this you know even though it's a remake even though you know it's a it's an original movie that i love so much so uh, 2008 man a remake of this um a lot of big names also attached acting wise uh we saw uh nick cannon of course um which is a, a big name uh ving rames uh, almost you know this sort of a uh something that almost made me attach this one to the dawn remake you know of course because we saw him in that mm. Uh, Mina Savari, who uh, I think gained a lot of popularity in American Pie and um, American Beauty. Um, so mm-hmm. a great actress. All of these the great actors in and of themselves. Um, and so, guys, just before I, I get opening thoughts on this film, um, I just have to read what Netflix has as the description <laughs> for this. Because uh, it is available on Netflix. The original is not. This one is. So that... What does that say for Netflix? But, you know, whatever. Um, here's what it says. <laughs> Director Steve Miner's remake of George A. Romero's classic zombie film honors the original's social relevance while putting a modern spin on plot. End quote. <laughs> wow. How about that? Um, so, yeah, I, I really I really wanted to like this. Like I said, I was super optimistic about it. Um, Jamie. Um, yeah. Have you seen this before oh. uh, the podcast here? Yeah, uh, I've seen it a couple of times. I actually own this movie. Oh, I'm sorry. Um. Well, what well what <laughs> happened is I, I bought it sight unseen because I found it mm-hmm. for an extremely cheap price, and um, I hadn't seen it, and I was like, eh, whatever, you know, I'll I do that sometimes. Yeah. But um, I've seen it a couple of times, and then I watched it again today. Hmm. Well, I mean, what? Just overall opening opening thoughts on this. Um, oh wow! I mean, where do we start <laughs> on this thing? I mean, do we, I love. Let, let's start on. <laughs> I, I guess uh, I'll, I'll just go over to Jay. I guess. Have you seen it before? We we brought it up for the podcast. Um, I, you know, I I thought I had, but when I watched it again, I'm like, this isn't familiar. So I guess I guess not. So this is actually, I will confess. It was my first time watching it, and I, I could have sworn I had seen this, so I don't know what I get it mixed up with. But no, so this was my first time. 
And by the way, I love it when you're exasperated, Corey. I think that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so <laughs> cute. And um, I just no, get and I will, yeah. I will defend Netflix, at least in my part of the country. Um, you know, it's not on watch instantly. It's not streaming. But I was able to get um, Day of the Dead, you know, the disc, the original from 85. I got that one from Netflix. And then this one is on streaming right now, the new remake. Oh. So sorry, I don't know I, if it's just your part of the country or what. No, I'm sorry. I actually, um, I just think in terms of streaming anymore because that's that's all I do. Oh. I, I don't do the the disc anymore. So I I kind of refer to Netflix very very narrowly in just the streaming aspect. But uh, I forget that uh, they they also do the discs as well. Right. Um, right. But uh, I see. No, okay. so you can get it through snail mail on uh, on, on disc as well. But uh, for for us streaming people. All you got is the remake. And right. uh this thing um okay, let's let's talk about this in terms of remaking the original um as far as similarities between this. Um we have military people in this one. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> Check. Check. Um you know, we have zombies. Check. I, but they're fast and they're right. kind of magical. Um, <laughs> really magical. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in Colorado um, and uh, we're in kind of this small town in Colorado. Did they, did they mention what city they're in? It's, they it's in Leadville. 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 Okay. Leadville. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, and it's uh, May 2007, by the way. Okay. And, um, you know, it seems like it's, it's a smaller town, you know, a lot of people, you know, everybody kind of knows everybody else. Um, and, uh, there are some strange things happening. The military is coming in and they're kind of, uh, they've blocked off, you know, the way out of town. You can't get in and out of town anymore. Some weird things happening. People are getting sick. And, uh, so we have reports of, of some strange occurrences. Um, but uh, really, there, you know, outside of what we just talked about, there is nothing, nothing at all that parallels the original um, other than oh, the, the, the absolute travesty of the, the bud. Right. You know, the, <laughs> the vegetarian zombie that doesn't eat people. Oh. Well, and, and we, Captain Rhodes. Oh. Well, yeah, I mean, we have some naming and, sort of <laughs> parallels there that are really uh, just names. and <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> Horrible. See, Corey, Midnight Corey, I hear people say all the time that the Dawn of the Dead remake would be fine if they hadn't used the same name. But for me, I don't really have a problem with that because even though it's different from the original, you can still recognize the influence of the primary film. Yeah. But with this... This movie should have never been called Day of the Dead. And and because it's not a remake at all. I mean, I think that's what we're all getting at. Except, yeah, there is a military component. There's a scientific component. But their utility, like the way they're included in this film and the way they interact is so minimal. I mean, it's 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 hardly anything to speak of. And then, yes, what you said, the Bud character totally misses the point of everything that made Bub so intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, would this, I mean, it, it's so weird to talk about uh, movies in terms of their titles and how that <laughs> would have affected what you thought of the film, but would this have been a better movie if it would have been called anything else than the Day of the Dead remake? 
Um, because I think it would have. I think it totally would have. Because I saw it through that lens. I mean, Jamie, it wouldn't have been. Or, or you know what, Jay? I mean, what? What do you think? <laughs> Just one one sentence. It wouldn't have been much better, but I wouldn't have been as mad about it either. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, I mean, Jamie, what do you think? Um. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> no, and uh, honestly, I don't hate this movie. I really do. And if it had been called something else, maybe I would hate it even less. I I do have issues with several things about it that are just, they logistically, they just don't make sense. Um, and, you know, and we can get into those later. But, um <sighs> I don't know. I kind of, I it was so far removed from the original that I don't think I even really think about that when I'm watching it. It doesn't really, it doesn't bother me like the Dawn one is constantly stuck in my head because there are some similarities there. With this one, it was so completely removed that I just don't even think about it. I try not to anyway, because it's not at all related. I mean, there's not, it's not at all <laughs> related. It's not at all. Yeah. Well, the problem, see, the biggest problem with this is that the original day, like we just talked about, picked up in the middle of things. You know, the, right. the zombie thing had already been happening in the last movie, in Dawn of the Dead, 1978. And we pick up with the action. Um, but in this one, we see the outbreak happening. I mean, it, it's its own standalone movie. It could have been any zombie movie. It could have been right. anything at all. And um, that's the biggest problem. I mean, you have um, you have different people remaking this coherent trilogy that we talked about. Um, and that's an immediate problem. I mean, it loses any sort of connection with anything else that came before it. And it's its own thing. And and bad enough, it's it's using these MTV zombies. I mean, totally mm -hmm. MTV zombies. Um, just fast, very, like <laughs> I, I said. Jake rumbling over there. <laughs> oh, it just, it, I mean, see, and I'm a fast zombie guy. I, I admit it. I'm, I love fast zombies. I actually prefer fast zombies. But this movie gives fast zombies a bad name because <laughs> I'm telling mm -hmm. you, here's the thing. Um, I, I'm, like Jamie said, I do have to, I give her credit with something she said. She doesn't, it's something like she doesn't mind it. She doesn't absolutely hate it. And the thing is, I would probably be in the same boat as not hating it. Um, but what they did with these fast zombies, like not only do they try to speed them up, like they make them fast, but then they like, it looks like you're watching something that somebody is hitting fast forward. Yes. And, and it's, yeah. it's not just unnaturally creepy or unnatural. It's just like impossibly fast. Mm -hmm. and, and it looks like superhero stupid. zombies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it well, looks they're climbing stupid. on ceilings. For crying out loud. Right. I mean, they're, yeah. Yeah. It's right. ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And see, and what, I guess one of the betrayals of this movie is like, <laughs> like, okay, the writer for the screenplay for this was written by Jeffrey Reddick. And he's known for um, the Final Destination films. He was the screenwriter for all five of those. But the thing is, so it's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too surprised that the story isn't great because, like, the Final Destination films are fun, but there's nothing, like, earth-shattering there. It's the same movie five times. But with Steve Miner is where I'm really disappointed because he directed um, Friday the 13th Part 2 and Part 3, and I think those are the two best of that franchise. And really, everything falls 
and Jamie, tell me if you disagree or not, but I think things ultimately fall upon the shoulders of the director as far as the end product goes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you can't, um, being on both sides of the camera, I don't think you can blame anyone but the director for the final product, you know, because in the end they are in control. So, and a, a good filmmaker friend of mine even says, talking about actors, he's like, you really can't blame the actor because the director, what's on film is what they were happy with. Apparently, you know, mm -hmm. they stopped right there and that's that that's the what they chose from that actor so ultimately it does fall on the shoulders of the director they're the ones who get the credit when the movie is good you know so um they're also the ones who have to take the brunt of it when the movie is bad wow yeah that's the way i see it <laughs> yeah that's amazing i i mean i i just saw so much of this being just not done right i mean just uh <laughs> you know i i thought the dialogue was really bad you know, I did not. It I, I saw the dialogue is very plastic and just very, very <laughs> fake. Um, I saw the casting. I mean, this casting was so terrible. Mina Savari does not cast well as a tough soldier. She is not a military style person. Nick right. Cannon, for crying out loud, I see Nick Cannon on uh, what's that uh, show that he's on now with uh, with the judges. America's um, Got Talent. Is that yeah. The one? I mean, yeah. Nick Cannon, he's, the, he's, he's kind of the goofy, fun-loving kind of guy. You know, he's, um, uh, what's, what's, his, uh, what's his wife's name? The singer, uh, Mariah Carey. I mean, come, come on. That's, uh, Nick Cannon as this <laughs> guy, I mean, it's miscast. Ving Rhames is the only one that comes close, I yeah, think. Yeah, and then to, you don't get to see much of him. Well, no, he's right. a great zombie. You know, I, I think yeah, actually that's true. That, yeah. that's actually that's a pretty scary scene, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. That's, like yeah. when he is coming after her, that I pulled my feet up into the seat because like he's moving fast and it's really it's really freaky. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. and um, so it, it it got a lot of things wrong and it, it was just I think really bad. But uh, there were some, to its credit, there were some kind of you know disturbing images, some violent scenes. Um, you know, some things here and there that kind of popped up that I uh, was like, Ooh, Oh, wow. That was, that was kind of, kind of violent. That was kind of gruesome. Um, but overall it just did not work. It was much more to me. It was like an action movie. Um, yes, that was, uh, just had some really fast zombies in it and a lot of CGI, yeah. a lot of CG blood and zombie transformations. I mean, zombie, you know, Going from human to zombie in, you know, like 0.5 seconds, you know, the veins <laughs> appearing on your face and sores and everything. I mean, come on. It's um, like a car commercial. Yeah. <laughs> Zero to zombie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's speaking, <laughs> speaking of car commercials, yeah, the very last, I just got to throw this in here, the very last jump scare, I won't say when it is, but it's the uh. last jump scare. That's exactly like that stupid YouTube car commercial. <laughs> I hate that so bad. It's like, this is not good at all. But, uh, like the Midnight... Sunday Drive one? That one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. <laughs> Mid Midnight Corey, uh, since you're a Western Pennsylvania man, just a real quick fact on Ving Rhames. He actually attends Pittsburgh Steelers games. So, yeah, um, you know, if you go to very many of those, if you get down there to the, the stadium, you might see Ving there. Any respectable <laughs> person. You know, is going to attend Steeler games. So that's, uh, you know, I, I have no, 
I have no exactly. doubt. You know, I like you know, Big Rames is a stand-up guy, so I have no doubt he he attends Steeler games. So you got so, it. And he's pretty. <laughs> he's pretty nice too, by the way. But um, yeah. You yeah. know, my favorite casting choice, and this is kind of a, I don't really have a, a very good reason for this, but I loved loved um Anna Lynn McCord as Nina. I thought she was absolutely gorgeous, and uh, usually I don't get that. You know. Twitter pated by um, actresses or something because I love my wife so much and I still do. But I do have to say, my wife's birthday is coming up and I'm going to have to get her a pair of those jeans that Anna Lynn McCord wears in this movie. <laughs> she is adorable in this movie. You're absolutely right about that. She's gorgeous. I was yeah. thinking, all, and I really liked her character. Yes. You know, um, she had that moment. She was strong through the most through most of it. And then she had that little bit of a breakdown, which didn't really feel natural to me because she had been so strong throughout the entire thing. And I realized that people have breaking points and all that. But I just felt it was sort of abrupt and unnatural. But then, of course, right. she comes back at the end. And there's even a point where, you know, uh, what's her, Trevor? Is that her boyfriend? Where he's like, you know, um, are you back? You know, <laughs> because I guess he's. You know, oh, he noticed that, hey, you know, she's going to kick some ass now. And I really, I liked it when she was strong. Um, yeah. She was, a, she was one, like the scene in the radio station where she notices that uh, someone's got a nosebleed. And you see her just kind of pick up the letter opener or it was a knife. I'm not sure what it was, but um, behind her back. And then she just walks in and confronts people with this situation. And I like that. I, I like that she is, she's not cowering behind her boyfriend she's not you know off shaking in a corner she is in this and she's standing up and that's one of the things i i do enjoy about her character i mean there are things i do like about this movie you know there are some of the characters i like i like the fact that minu savari has bangs you know because bless her heart she's got a giant forehead and <laughs> at least in this movie I think she looks really good in this movie. Now, I, I totally agree with you about her casting, you know, as a tough military chick. But um, I think she looks cute in it. Um. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she she's always cute no matter what she does, you know. But, uh, yeah, I, another uh, guy, and I don't know the actor's name, but uh, the DJ, the great big. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I really liked him. Um, you know, as far as trying to think of positive things, um, right. you know, he was, <laughs> no, I, I liked his character. I liked, the, I liked the way that was portrayed and I think he did it well, um, for what the character called for in this film. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I just did not invest much into any of these characters, um, uh, because it, it just started off, you know, it was, it was so plastic to me i mean it was so very um it's empty yeah it very empty i yeah that's a that's a great word choice um because it was just a lot of young romance you know a lot of uh a lot of sexual situations at the very beginning you know nothing nothing crazy but uh a typical teen kind of make out thing and then you know it just i don't know it, it did not have anything that the original had to offer and i just saw it as any other zombie movie that i've seen out there a million times over uh yeah. but did, done a lot worse <laughs> you know in, in a lot of regards so i i just uh i just checked out early is i think what i'm trying to say i just uh 
I didn't read a whole lot more into it after that. And then, again, you got to Bud at the end where they were, I think, really reaching to try to make a parallel with the original. Wow. And yes. um, that was bad beyond bad. I mean, they did a lot of things bad up until that. But that was bad. Um, right. I not believe. I mean, could a zombie, could we have a zombie like this? Uh, I mean. No. No. He did have some of the jaw movements down. Like if you if you watched him, um, he did some of the side to side jaw movements like Bub does. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not justifying anything. I'm just pointing it out. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> I think he did what he was supposed to do. I think the actor kind of played that role well, as far as trying to be a very emo kind of zombie. You know, because he, he was—he was. I mean, come on, he was a very pathetic kind of kind of thing. You're like, oh, that poor zombie. Yeah, he's off listening to Joy Division. Yeah, yeah totally. I mean, can't you see that? I mean, it's a it's a perfect thing. But uh, uh, just I I didn't buy it at all. It was so paper thin. Just, right. Uh, and and I I got some specific examples of that too. Midnight Corey, like for example. There are so many um, missed opportunities that they don't embellish on enough. Like there's, um, there's an example where a mom of, of two of the characters comes running into the picture, you know, and, um, and, and they could have done so much more dramatically with that because one of the things that's appealing about zombie films is that whole horrific nightmare of confronting someone that you love that wants to kill you but it's not that person anymore mm-hmm. and and so you had this dramatic moment that has a lot of weight to it that they really could have capitalized on and they just extinguished it in like a split second before you even got to that that whole scenario and, and I, you know, I don't want to spoil it or anything but you guys know what I'm talking about that, that was like one tremendous missed opportunity another thing that I thought was missed was um, the radio station KSWT that you were talking about I thought they missed the opportunity to make that, um, you know, a great siege scenario or like where they're, where they're holed up inside. It, you know, it could have been something along the lines of a Ponty Pool where they kind of milked that. And, and no, they totally, it was wasted again. It's like all these are great setups and you're not using them. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I, I agree. You know, I think they were, they were just, going with so much more of a modern kind of action feel to, you know, just uh, keep the fast zombies coming, keep the CG coming, keep the, I don't know, keep the thrills and and everything going, keep the adrenaline pumping throughout the film and uh, sacrificing a lot of reason and a lot of, you know, let's throw everything deep, you know, out the door. Let's just... Let's just go with a very shallow kind of thing. I mean, seriously, this is all about yes. the you know all about the thrill. And it uh, is, and uh, yeah. they have the characters have about as much depth as a sci-fi movie. You know, I mean, yeah. and I mean like Sci-Fi Channel. This could have know? been a sci-fi original, right here. It definitely, yeah. definitely could have, and that's exactly what it felt like the entire time I was watching it. You know, it's just they don't. There's and it, Jay brought up a brilliant point when you talk about all the all the opportunities that they miss and especially on the emotional level, you know, you've got a mother right there. Um, and you could tap into that really hard, but they don't. And there are several opportunities that they miss with that. 
And it's obvious that that's not what they were going for. You know, they were going for, you know, high adrenaline, you know, just fast stuff coming at you. And I don't know. What does that say? What does that say about, what does that say about the, who is their target audience here? Like, who do you think that, that they are, when they're designing this film, who are they aiming it for? Hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, I'm looking at, uh, you know, the, the, you know, and, and Jay, not to, I know you love 28 Days Later and, and uh -oh. zombies and things like that, but I think they're going after your kind of demographic, uh, but uh, almost younger. They um, missed me. They missed me. On I was going to say that. They missed him. There's it's like a younger Jay of the Dead they're going after. You know, it's somebody that, uh, I don't know, isn't as appreciative of, of film as you are and is just kind of out there for just a very cheap thrill. I mean, it's, uh, you know, definitely playing off of the success of the Dawn remake and off of the 28 days, you know, fast zombie kind of thing and a, a very modern action oriented audience. Um, but having nothing to do, not respecting any sort of zombie, film that came before it to bring it to where the zombie thing is right now um you know it's just i think cashing in on the current zombie craze and uh, really having nothing to do with uh giving any kind of homage to anything at all you know mm -hmm. it's just very a, a very shallow modern film that should not have been called day of the dead so yeah agreed yeah so, and anything and, else after that? <laughs> let Jamie, Jamie, you can go first. Uh, I always jump in. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was just, um, hmm. Okay, on the positive side, like I said, I don't hate it. You know, I don't, like, this is not a movie that I want to burn or break. I've actually seen it several times. What I can, what I find that I can do is turn off my brain, the part that likes to think, and just watch. And there are scenes like uh, when, you know, Rose zombie scene, which is, you know, really pretty scary, you know, if you if you break it down. I mean, they get into silly most of the time, you know, like with the climbing on the ceiling and all that. I mean, it gets really just flat out silly. And then as they're jumping out, there's a scene where they're jumping out of the windows. And I'm the, all I'm thinking the whole time is that would totally break their ankles. That is, <laughs> yes, <laughs> they can't jump out of a window that high. But, <laughs> but um, there are there are a couple of tense moments. And if I just let myself go and just don't give a crap and I just go, then, eh, it, you know, it passes the time. However, there are some things that I cannot get past. One of those is if, okay, this virus is supposed to be airborne and then dr logan says that i mean it must be airborne okay well then at the end we're wondering why all these people managed to survive if it's airborne and he says well some people are just born with a natural resistance to certain viruses which is of course true however and they all happen to know each other they all happen to be the ones that started out together and then ended up together and every one of these people is immune to this virus Bullshit. I don't buy that. I don't mm. buy that in the least. Um, you know, one of them, you know, two of them are boyfriend and girlfriend. There's a brother and sister. There's, you know, um, and the one of the guys that she works with. And I'm like, that is completely nonsensical. You know? mm. And you cannot get me to buy that. 
no matter what. You know, um, I, I see where they tried to make it relevant as far as, you know, bioweapon kind of thing. Um, but that was so, it was such a flash in the pan. It was so just raked over that it doesn't even matter. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he explains it in about 10 seconds and that's all that's ever said about it. So it really doesn't even matter. Um, and I guess, I guess all of that is to just say it's extremely slipshod and poorly put together. You know, the only way I can enjoy this is if I do turn off my brain and I don't try to think about it. And then there are the occasional moments that will kind of, you know, get you. But um, there is absolutely no depth. There is absolutely no characterization. There are no arcs. There's no, I mean, there is nothing that's, that any good normal cinephile will pull from this. There is nothing to pull. It's just complete empty action. That's really all mm-hmm. there is. Yeah. Yes. Well said. Well said. It is well said. I agree a hundred percent. And, um, and there are really silly things too, uh, that, that don't make any sense. Like with the dialogue, for example, you have characters well into the movie who keep seeing things, you know, after we already know there's this widespread zombie outbreak, <laughs> outbreak of infected maniacs and they keep yelling, what was that? I what said the that? same like, thing. It's like, what do you think it is? I mean, like, it's going to be something different this time. That's <laughs> exactly what I said. There's they're driving through the woods and you see the one run across and he's like, what was that? And I'm like, what the dude? Yeah. It's oh, <laughs> a werewolf. The zombie this apocalypse. Yeah. What the hell do you think it was? And, and, and then maybe I missed this, but this kind of bugs me. Like, I realize that sometimes things get cut out of movies, but this was only like 86 minutes long, by the way. But, uh, you know, and God. I realize yeah. that sometimes there are like loose ends, but at one point, uh, Mina Savari's character, her gun isn't loaded and she says it's complicated. And I don't remember ever learning why that was. Or I mean, did we ever learn why she doesn't have no. ammo in her gun? Okay. There you go. Well, that was great. Thanks for that. <laughs> then, I guess she's then, like Barney Fife of the army. You know, she's, apparently. <laughs> she has to keep bullet in her pocket. Yeah. And then, and then, um, like, okay, here's something that really bothers me, too. Like, when, when zombies, okay, 28 days later, which I love, I've said that, you know, there was always, like, an amount of time that it took for them to turn. And then when they, like, you know, turned over or yielded to the rage virus, um, they got kind of freaky. They got the red eyes and stuff. But these zombies, they turn, and it's, like, this fantastical, dramatic transformation, like, I'm talking on werewolf levels here. They get these face patches on their skin, and they look okay, but it's just a dumb concept. I don't believe the way they turn in this movie. It bugs me. Yeah, yeah, it, it's very surface level dramatics, that, you know that uh, yeah that you're going for, and uh, yeah, it they do a lot of shrieking and howling, and very they're very dramatic, and it's yeah. it's very stupid, so stupid. There was. You know, there was one thing that this movie just barely um, touched on that's, that's an, I guess, an admirable concept. I mean, we've seen this originally from, like, um, I Am Legend or, like, its predecessors, like, what, Omega Man or whatever. And then we had this in Land of the Dead. George Romero actually addressed this, but, and they graze over it where zombies actually become their own culture in and of themselves, where they are the new norm and the people who are not turned 
are um, actually the outcasts. They're the weirdos. Hmm. And so I, they, address, they tried to address this just briefly when Bud is finally, like, I guess, welcomed into their group. And then all of a sudden he does something, which I won't say what it is, but it was so predictable. We knew that was coming. <laughs> but Bud becomes an unacceptable outcast among them. And so I think that is the only concept that they like even began to reach for. So I got to give them credit for that, but they really didn't develop it very well. Yeah, and they're already building on such a stupid concept as it is. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> they're trying to extend that. I mean, like I said, by then I was just so checked out of this thing. I'm just mm-hmm. like, man, this is, you have just so screwed this up already. Well, if, I mean, if I can't you didn't, believe it. If you didn't know beforehand that it was strictly an action film, the very end will drive that point home for you. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, that is straight, like, Michael Bay shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, the, you know, there's, there's a big fire scene. And, again, I, I talk about the CGI that's going on throughout this film that's plaguing this film. I mean, it's a rampant yes. CGI. And that fire scene towards the end is just so bad. I mean, it's just obviously, obviously a, a total CG fire thing going on. I mean, at least I've, I would much rather you you know stick these zombies behind flames that are actually like 10 feet in front of them and just put the camera, you know, at a, at a very convenient angle and try and sell it to me that way. But putting right. in all these CG burns and, and stuff, I mean, did not work. Yeah. Um, just badly executed. Now, I'll keep going off on how bad this thing was just uh, as long as you let me because, man. <laughs> well, the thing and the thing that really made me violently angry and I'm serious, I get so mad at this is the ending. And I won't spoil anything for those who want to watch this. But basically, it, it is one of the worst in memory of, of like those convenience endings. You know, when you're watching yes. a movie and all of a sudden it's like they don't know how to wrap this up. And so all of a sudden it's like. <laughs> I, you know, it just all of a sudden ends. And so I'm not going to spoil or say who survives or dives. But in this movie, all of a sudden, it's just over. And this radio report comes over and says that the, the military, which is pretty much non-existent, has everything under control and everything is great. And so I, and I just when I see something like that happen in a film like this, I think, OK, they, they realize that they hit their goal of 86-minute runtime or whatever it was. It's like, well, this is feature length. Let's just wrap this up and call it a movie. You know? And I think that's what happened. There is no transition into the end at all. It just ends terrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record if I, if I comment on this. Um, You're going to say Jamie, stupid? Exactly. Thank you. Um <laughs> Jamie, what do you think of the ending, you know, as far as, you know, even going up to the final frames of this thing and oh, how stupid. so stupid it is? I'm... It is uh, stupid. It is. Yeah. It's completely predictable. It, you, you can see it coming from six miles away. I mean, I'm the very last frame is what I'm referring to. I mean, it yeah. just and you're the whole time you're like, oh, they did that really. I mean, <laughs> yeah. wow. Um, you know, one thing I think is interesting, though, is every time I watch this movie and which has been probably like three times, I guess. Um, I keep thinking <laughs> that Nick Cannon is going to pop back up somehow. Um, I think it's because he's such a comedic element yeah. that I keep expecting him to like come out like all you know Will Smith style. And, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and every time right. it doesn't happen, I'm like, oh shit, what am I thinking of? I'm thinking of... 
right. why do I keep thinking he pops up? But um, yeah, uh, it's I would not have been surprised at all, you know, if he had climbed out of some hole somewhere and shown up at the end, like hailing him down to pick him up. You know, <laughs> they could have damn but well done anything at the end of this. They could have exactly. You know, That's right. what I mean. Everything else didn't really make sense. So why are you gonna? Why would that? Yeah, why not? <laughs> it could have made it better. I mean, you know, jeez. Wow. Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to, again, we're going to go around and give some numbers to this film because we did to uh, the original. <laughs> so, Jay, I'll start with you. One to ten. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, you gave a 9.5 right. uh, to uh, Day of the Dead 1985. So uh, where does the uh, remake fall? Okay. And now I realize that the listeners, now we do have a lot of listeners who really aren't looking for the underlying commentaries in zombie films. They don't care about the metaphors and so forth. It's just all about the, the entertainment value, you know, at surface level, which is fine. You know, we, I don't turn my nose up against that. I just enjoy more meaty films. But, you know, realizing that, you know, Corey, I think of your nephew, he sounds like he has tremendous tastes. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I suspect that if he were to watch this film before listening to your good counsel, he might enjoy himself. So, uh, you know, I realize that. And there, there are elements that make this somewhat fun once you get past the stupid stuff. But, like, for example, um, Annaline McCord. She was fun for me. I, I have to say it. Like, <laughs> and I just I, I liked some of the elements, but mostly it was a terrible film. But So I'm going to give it my lowest rating that still gets a rental, which is a 5. So out of 1 to 10, I'm giving it a 5. And I'm saying rent it if you love zombie movies and you're not super picky about them being awesome. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let's go to Jamie. Okay. Um, you know, I agree with uh I agree with what you said. I mean, there are people out there who just uh really don't give a damn if there's a lot of context in to their films, and that is A okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You get what you get out of it. Um and sometimes I mean, I, you know, I'm that way, too, occasionally. I just like to watch a movie to be watching a movie. So if for those people out there who like a lot of action, and if you can get past the fact that this is just way beyond action, there are really some really inane things going on that you just cannot rectify with any zombie rules. Um, it's completely out of the realm of possibility, even for zombies. Um, if you, if you're okay with that, then you are probably going to enjoy it. You know, it has a couple of scary scenes and some interesting action. And I do like a couple of the characters. So, you know, I'm going to go with a four on this. Um, yeah, <laughs> seems about right to me. Okay. Um, does that mean rented or avoid, like, what does that mean? Um, in your book, just curious. I would say, you know what, if you're a, if you're a zombie file, I say rent it, and just to say you've seen it. Um, I wouldn't recommend running out and buying it uh, by any stretch of the imagination. It's probably a more of even a catch it on cable kind of thing. You know, if you're flipping <laughs> the channels and you see that it's on, or if you see it's on demand or something, you know, give it a watch if you got some time to kill. That's what <laughs> that's what I would say. Mm. 
Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> you know, Corey's nephew, and I, I you know, I'm not going to give your name, but uh, to my nephew, um, <laughs> man, don't watch this. Um, and... <laughs> Corey, you know, I think you'd like it, though. I think uh, you would. That's, come on, Uncle Corey. Come on. You, you know, <laughs> listen to Uncle Corey. He knows what he's talking about. No, I, I just, uh, I, I've given my, my thoughts to this. It, it's just uh, not at all why I love zombie movies. It's not at all why I like horror. I mean, yeah, no, it's maybe no. why I like action films. You know, I'd, uh, I'll watch a, an action film every once in a while just to get a cheap thrill just to, you know, pass some time while I don't have anything else to watch or to do at the time. But that's really all it does for me. Um, really, as far as a zombie movie goes, which this is really cashing in and banking on the fact that it is a zombie movie. It's a remake of a great, 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 great zombie movie. And that is specifically what it is banking on. Um, it is the same zombie movie formula that we have been plagued with over and over and over again in the past decades. The outbreak happens. People scramble to survive. You see some very shallow interaction. And it's it's all this movie is. Um, and it's not done very well. And I am specifically disappointed for two reasons. First of all, it's a remake of a George Romero classic, which I love. Second of all, that it's Steve Miner, and he has such cred as far as horror goes. Shame on you, Steve Miner. Shame <laughs> on you. I mean, this was uh, not Agreed. something. Yeah, not I do something. agree with that. It's you would expect yes. this of some a first-time director, you know. Yes. Um, Come I would on, not Steve. This of Steve Miner. Yeah, yeah, he he knows better than this, and uh, so slap on the wrist to you. But uh, no, I just I, and that's why I mean I just can't recommend that anybody sees it. I mean, there are so many. There's there's scores of movies, hundreds of movies out there that I can tell you to go watch before this, well before this. I mean, this is a waste of time completely, especially, you know, in light of of everything I've said. So uh, I'm sorry that I'm going well below uh, Jay and Jamie tonight with a 1.5. Whoa! Which I, That's I rarely higher than I expected. Yeah, I, I rarely <laughs> go this low, but um, there was some competent cinematography. Um, you know, so you know, production value was relatively high if you don't count the CGI. Um, you know, there were some uh, some good. Of course, the Ving Rhames uh, scene that we're talking about. You know, going up into the the whole. You know, sh- you know the the venting. Um, Oh, what do you call it when they're in that room and they're trying to get up into the air ducts and everything? You know, that that mm-hmm. was pretty scary. And, uh, you know, the DJ, he was kind of entertaining and everything. But other than that, I seriously did not care about any of this. I checked out early. I thought it was, again, stupid. stupid. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That is the word of the night for this film. So, uh, yeah, 1.5. And um, But I will say... That if you would have asked me to rate this after the first time I saw it, because this was this was the second time, uh, the first time I saw it, I actually hated it worse than I did now. Um, mm. You know, I, I just uh, again I gave it a one the first time, and so since then it came up a half a point. Um, hey, you know, so that's uh, watch that's it about something. fifty more times, and it'll be a respectable movie. Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's stretching it a bit. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know so, I'll be revisiting this anytime soon. Uh, 
So you're saying avoid this for sure then, Midnight Corey, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Don't, uh, even on Netflix, if you, you know, subscribe to that, don't, you know. Wow. Thank you, guys. Uh, this has been a, a truly, you know, an epic segment. And I think something that is, is going to be probably a show in and of itself. And uh, we've spent a lot of time. But uh, again, uh, Jamie, this, is a, this has been a special treat to talk with you again and uh, just to have you on the, the electric chair. I mean, it's, uh, it's always a treat talking with you. So thank you. Oh, no, thanks for having me. You know, I, uh, I will talk horror with you any time. It's one of my favorite things. Awesome. Awesome. And well, uh, I'm so happy to talk to Jay again. Yes, Jay, yeah. thank you. I mean, uh, it's, you know, rare is the time when I get to speak with you and uh, hear your awesome voice. And uh, tonight Doesn't he is, have a great voice? He does. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm just between so... Between the two of you, I'm dying over here. I am so relaxed. <laughs> like, I'm so calm, and I'm, I'm really happy just, just hearing Jay and how, how cool he is about That's things. Funny. So, But uh, no, seriously, thank you, man, for uh, spending time with me tonight. It was really great. My pleasure. Yeah, this is, a, this is an honor. I had a good time. I, I've been wanting to talk to you in depth about um, Day of the Dead for... I mean, basically, since I first got to know you back in October of 2011, mm-hmm. way back then. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's always a pleasure to catch up with Maven Jamie, too, her <laughs> southern charm. Aw. <laughs> it's such an honor that you guys let me be, on, be in on this conversation. I, that's so sweet. Oh, well, Jamie, like you've like you've experienced before, I mean, you can literally come on whenever you want. You know, if I'm recording and you happen to jump on Skype, I mean, you're you're in the show. I mean, we just had that crazy, <laughs> crazy impromptu. And Jay, I don't know. Um, I don't think I've posted it or did I did I post? I, I don't even know. But I had this crazy. Yeah, it was uh, it came on last week. OK, I yeah, I, I put it on the show. Um where it was just some night and I'm like, let's do a podcast, anybody. And I, I put it up on Twitter. I'm like, let's talk about anything horror. If you want to get on right now, just, you know, we'll get on Skype. And so actually David um, said, hey, hey, I'm, I'm available. Let's let's talk. So me and David started talking and all of a sudden Jamie jumped online. She was on Skype and she's like, hey, I'm here if you want to talk. So I died, patched her in and we did, 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 surprise, surprise, ended up talking about zombies, you know, and, and Romero films. <laughs> right. And, uh, but no, like literally either of you, um, you know, anytime you want to talk horror, anything, you see a, a crazy movie that you'd like to discuss, talk about, you know, it's, it's all good. Even if it's not a zombie film, I'm, I'm cool with that. So, but, uh, no, it, Jay, man, it, it's been great that, uh, you've taken your time tonight and, uh, Jamie as well. Um, always an honor. So, uh, guys, let's do this again soon. Yeah, absolutely. And and I wanted to just follow up from last time when the three of us were together. Oh, I, I mentioned, forgot. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mentioned um, something that uh, was like an exclusive on the electric chair. It was the first time it came up and, um, in 2013 in Atlanta, Georgia. The <laughs> Run for Your Lives event where it's a, a race where you run from zombies. People dressed up like zombies. Hopefully they're people, maybe they're real zombies, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> it'll motivate you to run faster, I'm sure. Uh, I want to try to get a big meetup down there. And, um, you know, my, trying to get my crew from Horror Metropolis to come. Uh, oh, right now yeah. I've, got, I've got Terra Tovey committed. Yes. So uh, 
Yeah, Craig and I are going to be there, and I'm trying to get you know as many listeners and people there. I'm going to have like tons of fun, and I hear Atlanta is great for food. So you know, I just want to tell all the electric chair listeners, you know, come and meet up and run from zombies, and I'm going to just be bugging these two, and I <laughs> I want you guys to come too. I just think it'd be super fun. Well, you know, that's yes? my stomping ground, so um, I'll be there. <laughs> awesome. awesome, that is so good. Yeah, so, I mean, if, if people want to, you know, keep update, I mean, it's this year in 2012, I think that event happened in March. They don't actually have their 2013 date set yet. I've contacted them. They said they'd let me know. So if you want to keep tabs on that, I'll be tweeting about it. And you can follow me on Twitter at Horror Metro. So, and Corey, there's one last thing I wanted to tell your fans, too. Oh. This is This is... Fans of Midnight Corey, I got an exclusive for you. You might not know about this. Ooh. As I mentioned earlier, Midnight Corey is a tremendous songwriter and musician himself. Oh, man. <laughs> and and um, I run another podcast called The Songwriting Podcast. And Midnight Corey was our special guest on episode five. We even play one of his zombie songs on there that he wrote, which is very cool. <laughs> so if you want to check out Corey and all his uh, musical glory, Go to songwritingpodcast.com slash episode five. Wow. Ah, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Those are uh, some very kind words. And yeah, He's blushing. I, uh, <laughs> I am. I, I write songs, but they're, they're so inaccessible and so weird to a lot of people that uh, I don't talk about them much, but uh, that's, that's very kind. Um, very cool. But uh, no, I, I have a lot of fun just creating stuff and, uh, so that was a lot of fun, Jay. I, I really appreciate that uh, you had me on. And uh, so definitely, I'm still writing stuff. And uh, I hope you are too, Jay. I hope you're uh, still uh, being creative. Yes, they're well. working on one currently. Yes, sir. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. First, he conquered YouTube. Then, he was on Cadaver Lab. Next came Cinema Corpse. And then he was on your mom. What? It totally happened. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast. www.krugernation.com That's all I got for the show this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Jay the Dead and to Maven Jamie for an awesome, awesome talk. Um, just about uh, two completely different movies. <laughs> but uh, no, that was a lot of fun, and I, I certainly appreciate uh, what they do and that they take time to come on my show. So very, very cool. Um, again, get in your entry uh, for the Troll Hunter Blu-ray giveaway, um, courtesy of Florida Possum. Uh, give my voicemail a call, 206-337-5096, or leave me some feedback. I got the fancy uh, MP3 uploader on uh, electrochairshow.com. Uh, so check it out. You can also leave me a message that way or email me, whatever. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, so yeah. But uh, like I said here very soon, be prepared for a very special announcement concerning this show. Oh, yes, yes, you will be excited. Well, you'll probably be excited. Uh, I'm excited. Anyhow, at least somebody's excited. I am. So thank you once again for listening, and tune in again next week for The Electric Chair. (laughs) 